Hey, it's Free Talk Live. Welcome to the program. You can join us here. You can bring up whatever you want to talk about. The phones are open, as they always are. Number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. And in the studio tonight, it's Ian. And Chris. We also are going to be joined shortly by Nobody. I see him pulling up outside as we speak. Uh, I don't know if this is his first Friday show back. Yeah, because he wasn't here last week. Okay, yeah, because he missed it. Yeah, that's right. He started coming back uh, after the New Year, so it'd be great to have him back here in the the studio. Uh, Of course, phones are open, and you can join us at 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. We're going to get into uh, the latest attack not on in the United States on cryptocurrency, but in nearby Canada. You've got a story about that, Chris. That's on the way tonight. Uh, plus, the uh, here's a surprise. The U.S. federal government has hit its debt limit, or is about to. Apparently, on Thursday, <laughs> they're going to hit the so-called debt limit. And, of course, why they even have a debt limit just you know doesn't really make much sense. Uh, because they just raise it every time they come close to hitting it, so it's never really done any kind of limiting. Uh, we're already they're they're already over thirty one trillion dollars. The current debt limit, according to the Department of the Treasury, and welcome nobody. Good to have you. Thank you. Uh, the current debt limit, according to the Department of Treasury letter here issued out uh, earlier today is $31.381 trillion, and they are going to hit that as soon as next Thursday, according to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. uh, CNBC reporting here that after that, the Treasury Department will begin, quote, taking certain extraordinary measures to prevent the United States from defaulting on its obligations. What do you think happens if the U.S. government defaults on its obligations costs more money to get credit (laughs) um probably nothing (laughs) (laughs) well they make it sound like it's going to be this big thing and it may very well be because it's probably that they can't pay on the uh the treasury bonds would be my guess and if they can't pay on the treasury bonds uh pico's mountaineer explained one one night a little while back uh, and he's like really into the the whole finance thing that that essentially causes a cascading, tr- just a traumatic situation with like the stock markets because there's a lot of things that depend on those bonds getting paid on time, uh, basically. Mm-hmm. So that may very well be one of the things that happens. But of course, the small government Republicans will certainly come to the rescue <laughs> and increase the debt limit. Usually they just borrow from one of their slush funds. Uh, well, they get to print it, right? Like it's just that they can't print more if the if they hit the debt limit. Right, because um, when the print when the Federal Reserve prints uh, money, you know, into existence, that's essentially they're buying the government's debt. Right? Aren't they buying the Treasury uh, bonds with that money? As I understand it, um, if, if they can't get J- Japan or China or whoever to buy the Treasury bonds or average suckers to buy them, then it's the Federal Reserve that does. Uh, that's the most common thing they yeah. do. The uh the committee is the uh, Federal Open Market Committee. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. And uh, they 
usually buy treasury bonds, although they also are the organization that was buying up all kinds of toxic debt Mm -hmm. uh, during the housing crunch, for example. The uh, Treasury is not currently able to estimate how long those emergency actions would allow the U.S. government to pay for its obligations, she said. But, quote, it's unlikely that cash and extraordinary measures will be exhausted before early June. She warned the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, that it is, quote, critical that Congress act in a timely manner to increase or suspend the debt limit. She said failure to meet the government's obligations would cause irreparable harm to the U.S. economy, the livelihoods of all Americans, and global financial stability. Hmm. Uh, if only we could actually see what that shook out as. Yeah, if it actually ever Instability would be a beautiful thing. Uh, well, I mean, it's not as though that it's currently very stable anyway. It's a, it's a house of cards. Yeah, well, I mean, some things are are stable. Some things are kept stable by the uh, I mean, government. For example, <laughs> if you're super rich and you lose all their all your money, they're going to make things stable by giving it back to you. <laughs> I love I, I love how people use the word stable. It's it's not really stable. It's more like a predictable downward trend, right? Mm, yes. I mean, um, it, it yeah, it's it's not. It's kind of funny because people say you know things like Bitcoin are unstable, but it's like yeah but that's kind of that's you're you're kind of missing like some of the the value there and then if you start saying the dollar is stable like okay but you're you're missing that it's on a downward trend i, I don't a know the stable whole thing. downward trend yeah I like right like, predictable right it's yeah it, yeah yeah i mean if your first derivative is a count is a is a constant that's that stability and that's just graphs as a slanted line mm. She says, I respectfully urge Congress to act promptly to protect the full faith and credit of the United States. That's interesting wording, isn't it? Faith, right? The faith of the United States. It it is. uh, It's got a lot of similarities to a religion. Yeah. We've pointed this out. Oh, yeah. We will continue to point this out again and again. I mean, you, you know, all you have to do is go to your nearest courtroom to see the similarities to a religion. You've got a man in a robe. You've got icons. You've got p- literal pews. Everybody's all quiet. They speak in hushed tones. Uh, there's this forced reverence. There's uh, there's all kinds of uh, let's see religious sort of uh, mm-hmm. rites, if you will, or you know, things that they do over and Ceremonies. over again. Ceremony. That's that's yeah. what I'm looking for. Yeah. Uh, Yellen's letter effectively starts a clock counting down how long the federal government can continue to make interest payments on its debt. So, yes, that's what... Strange clock, since there's no numbers on it, but uh, because they can't predict how long it's going to last. No, So, uh, it's it's the the crippled clock. (laughs) Congress, in December of 2021, increased the federal debt limit to about $31.4 trillion. So, it's been about a year. They've already hit the debt limit again, and now they're going to need to uh, to raise it again, which, of course, they're going to do. I mean, for all the talk of the Republicans being so-called small government, you know they're going to do what it takes to I mean, save it. It, it. Yeah, they introduced a bill just uh, a few days ago to, uh, to uh, abolish the IRS and eliminate the income tax. And the I'm fair thinking, tax bill. Wouldn't it be interesting if they'd done that when they didn't know it was impossible? Yeah, because Biden's in office. A couple of years ago, when Trump was in office, they held the Senate 
Yes, they, they did. They held the House. Sure did. Um, or at least they were they very- They had them both during Trump. They did for have t- both for a time. in the first Trump. Yes, first um, half, I think, of Trump. First half of Trump. So they have, have done it. obviously, the presidency. They could have done it, pushed it through, and made it law. The thing that they know they can't do now mm-hmm. is push it through and make it law. That's the right. other interesting thing about Republican watching is whenever the Democrats want to push through a crazy new bill like that $1.7 trillion, uh, trillion dollar omnibus yep. bill, just enough Republicans always cross the line to get <laughs> the bill possible. passed, yeah. but no more. Mm-hmm. I'm ima- I imagine they like draw lots for who gets to be the unlucky <laughs> one. Lamb. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, most of the Republicans will probably forget about it by election time anyway on whoever it was that crossed the line. Let's go to the phones here. We got somebody calling in here. You're on Free Talk Live. What's your name? Cynthia. Cynthia. What's on your mind tonight? Well, uh, two things. Number one is that we need more emphasis put on our constitutional sheriffs. Those are local elections where maybe uh, libertarians might have more clout. And that they're their primary guardians of keeping either state or federal government or county government of intruding upon the rights that you're guaranteed under the Constitution. Yeah, if you hear uh, you hear a lot about these constitutional sheriffs, uh, you don't really see a lot about them. You don't really uh, see the results of the supposed constitutional sheriffs right, out right. there. Sheriff Mack, I heard him interviewed yesterday. Is he still a sheriff, by the way? No. Okay, no, I didn't think so. It's an honorarium at this point. Mm-hmm. But he's the one who won. You're right. Uh, held the line on the feds on the Brady Bill, right? Went all the way to the Supreme Court. No, they can't insist that your sheriff in, uh, enforce a federal law. They can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so um, he was refusing to, to do this registration and pick up a weapons or something. Um, so he, he was saying there was only maybe 5% or less of uh, that he thinks are sheriffs are actually uh, actively attending to be constitutional sheriffs. That sounds like a reasonable so, presumption. I, we know there's one guy down in Arizona who is on the border, he's on one of the border counties in Arizona, and he is actually a, a Democrat who is in favor of immigration, although he's really a libertarian. I think he even de- described himself as a uh, an anarcho-capitalist or whatever, hmm. if I recall correctly. He's a really interesting guy. He called our show. Well, he, he, can, he can be that once he drops the support of immigration laws, which you can't have a immigration. No, no, he's against uh, the immigration Oh, laws. He's, he's against the immigration immig- laws. He's in favor of immigration. He's in favor of immigration. Okay, yes, yep. I misunderstood. Proceed. David Hathaway, I think, is his name. Uh, and he wrote a book. Not the, the guy who was on Baywatch. No, you're thinking of uh, <laughs> well, you know, the, uh, y'all are going far afield from this topic. <laughs> so, um, what well, no, I was giving you another that? example of a constant, like a quote-unquote constitutional sheriff, somebody who well, is holding the line. For, for a straight-out libertarian, you're fine with, uh, let's call it illegal uh, immigration for whatever reason. But the issue is, is that we have a contract, and we're giving. Um, benefits to people who are impoverished, who are American citizens, and people with other certain criteria. And if you open it wide for anyone who wants to... What contract? I'm sorry. You said we have a contract. What, what is that? Well, we have a social contract in the sense that we do? we're giving people uh, benefits if they're disabled. Yeah, I don't recall, I don't recall signing this. I didn't sign this either. Where, where can well, we see this social contract? I'd like to review it. your county sheriff comes in because they hold the line on illegal behaviors in those elections. 
And okay, but that didn't answer my question. Choice. You said there's a social contract, and I've heard people make this accusation or make this claim before. They don't ever have any evidence to back it up. So I would like to know, Cynthia, where is the well, proof? I, I, I paid in Social Security for years, right? And now it's I taken get from you. Check. That's not a contract. That's, uh, like Chris said, they, they stole that money from you. And so there's no contract there. Because remember, they can change the terms of Social Security at any time. So you have no contract with them. Hmm. They assign oh, well, you a number. They pretend you, they have know. a contract I with you because... So let's go back to that constitutional sheriff and their responsibility to make... No, that's not. You said there was a social contract. Where do we find it? You, you seem I to be... I called up about constitutional sheriffs. I know what you I called about. Let, the line. Let, let's, let's, let's let her proceed her. All right, fine. Uh, I, I'm fine. curious as to you where You can she's admit going. there's no social contract. Go ahead. Well, I, I'm just saying that, that uh, th- this sheriff doesn't sound like he's being a constitutional sheriff, but that's that's one here, neither here nor the others. That most of that's because you're against immigration, right? Role. Pardon? That's because you're against immigration. Um, I'm against uh, t- people with weapons coming across our border when their government is trying to keep us from having a weapon. Yeah. Okay, so let me let me just clarify what you're saying here. You yeah. support the government having weapons, stopping people from coming across the border because someone might have a weapon coming across the border. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You just put words in my mouth. Okay, I'm just trying okay. to understand. That's why I'm restating I, I what you said. Defending that you don't want people crossing into territory with weapons, with the intention of using those weapons. When you don't even have a weapon because your government has decided that you can't have a weapon. Well, I mean, in my case, so, I can't because I'm a, I'm uh, convicted on some felony charges and I'm out on bail conditions pre-sentencing. But most people in New Hampshire, besides me and nobody, can have weapons. We uh, don't have a problem. I know you're calling from, I think, California. There are federal restrictions, though, still. Oh, but I'm actually a Texan. I got, I got okay. faced out of Texas illegally, uh, criminally. Mm-hmm. Well, Texas can life. have, you can have guns in Texas. I had one in Texas, okay, but I was not foolish enough to cross state lines with it. Oh, okay, because <laughs> I didn't know the rules here. <laughs> right. So, what's the concern mm. about people coming here with weapons? I'm not real clear on that. Well, my concern is that we don't have constitutional sheriffs; that we have the right to have them. It's in the Constitution, and that people need to stand up for the elections. And the most important election is who is going to be your sheriff. Okay. Well, I mean, if more people who actually respected rights were running for sheriff, maybe we'd have more of them. But the job attracts psychopaths who want to use violence against peaceful people. Well, you don't want violence, right? You just want them to uphold your right to be free from violence. That'd be great. Wouldn't it be easier just to dissolve the position? Speaking of of violence, did you know that the Pentagon... She's not here to answer questions, Chris. Do you know they're behind the, the, the vaccine, the COVID vax? Who? The Pentagon has held the contracts backing okay. up the COVID vaccines. Well, it really doesn't matter to me who's behind it. I mean, I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to use, uh, I'm not going to be uh, persuaded to take it in any way, shape, or form. I'm not right. interested in being so, an experiment. So, Thank you, Cynthia, for the call tonight. I appreciate hearing from you. The number is 603-283-6160. If you call into the show, I mean, I want to have a conversation. I don't want to just have a lecture series by Mm. somebody calling in who just wants to be able to spout off and doesn't want to answer any follow-up questions, doesn't want to answer any kind of inquiry as to what their opinion is. 
Yeah, it's a two-way conversation, not just a... Right, that's what a conversation right, it's is. it's not just a... What is it, like an outlet to speak... Your, I mean, it is a podium to speak or a, yeah. Right, it's not just a podium. It's a, right. it's a conversation we're trying to have. Yeah, and I got questions, you know, and if you want to start talking about a social contract, I want to see the evidence for it. In fact, is she doesn't have any evidence for that. And then she wants to go off on immigration and, you know, start fear-mongering about immigrants who have weapons. I don't care if somebody has a weapon and they come across the border, if we're free to have weapons mm. then it doesn't matter i mean the super majority of people that come here are looking for a better life for themselves they're not murderers they're not rapists <laughs> they're not a threat to anyone no more so than the average native-born americans are a threat yeah it's not it's not it's, it's the interesting thing about it like if you look at statistics it's not like there is a like a disproportionate percentage of the people coming over the border who are you know murderers or rapists or thieves or whatever relative to our own population so if you increase if you increase that population you know it's it's going to be about the same in terms of like what percentage of people are murderers rapists and thieves or whatever so in other words you'd uh, avoid just as many murderers and rapists if you legalized abortion than if you uh closed the border <laughs> Yeah. Run, me, run that by I, I me think one that more time. Sense. Legalizing abortion would, uh, it, it would, have no would effect. <laughs> prevent as many felonies as closing the borders. Yeah, it's basically he's saying it has no effect. Well, I mean, in theory, yeah. you could say that legalizing abortion, abortions are probably more likely to be done by people who don't want to have children, uh, more likely to be done by impoverished uh, people who can't afford mm. to have children. Maybe. And, if you're not raising kids in a in an environment with parents that actually want them to be around, there's a good mm. chance those people may turn into dangerous mm. criminals down the line. So you actually may reduce crime mm. by legalizing abortion. Uh, Freakonomics mm. actually makes that uh, makes the argument that the reason for the major reason for the drop in crime after the 1970s was precisely the legalization of abortion mm-hmm. and having fewer children raised by families that did not Don't want them. them. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and I've never I it's can, never I've never understood the conservatives who are so insane about making abortion illegal. It's like most of the people who are going to get abortions are probably your political opponents. They're more right. likely to get abortions. Why do, why do you care so much? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's probably something that they can only win periodically. I mean, basically, they outlaw uh, they outlaw abor- the conservatives outlaw abortion. The liberals have more babies until they can overcome the conservatives <laughs> and legalize abortion. In which right. case, they have fewer babies until the conservatives can overcome them and outlaw abortion again. Yep. And then the liberals will be on the rise. Uh, <laughs> or they could just break up, have a national divorce, and then go off and have their you know the liberals can have their socialist uh paradise and the conservatives can have their theocratic nightmare or whatever that uh into that uh vision of the future because uh it sounds a heck of a lot better than the other yeah yeah i mean i'll i'll just stay here in new hampshire but y'all can fight it out as much however you like Uh, So to go back to the story here about the U.S. hitting its debt limit as soon as this coming Thursday, they're saying they may be able to string it along until as late as June with various different 
extreme measures or whatever, quote unquote, yeah, extraordinary. They didn't consider it constri- extreme to pass a 1.7 trillion omnibus nope. bill, though. That's not extreme. Nope. And uh, 31.4 trillion isn't enough. So they now want that to be raised, the federal debt limit to go up to God knows what now, 35. I don't know. I don't know what it was raised from when they raised it to 31.4. The limit is the total amount, this is according to CNBC, of money the U.S. government is allowed to legally borrow to pay for its existing obligations. Those obligations include Social Security and Medicare benefits, military salaries, interest on the national debt, tax refunds, and other payments, according to Janet Yellen. The so-called extraordinary measures available to the Treasury Secretary free up the government's borrowing capacity It can extend the clock for weeks or months while Congress hashes out a bill to raise the borrowing limit. Yellen wrote that the two extraordinary measures that Treasury expects to implement are redeeming existing and suspending new investments of the Civil Service Retirement and Disability Fund and the Postal Service Retiree Health Benefits Fund and suspending reinvestment of the Government Securities Investment Fund and Federal Employees Retirement System Thrift Savings Plan. So it sounds like pension stuff. Sounds like they're going to put some pension-related monies on hold. She said Congress previously authorized the Treasury to use those measures, and etc., etc. It remains unclear whether the GOP majority will unite over its own set of demands. So, yes, this is going to be... There's going to be some political football being played here over the next several months as the Republicans will surely do their thing of saying, oh, well, if you don't do, you know, if you don't let us pass this and that, then uh, then we'll have a government shut down. Yeah, you know, that's what's going to happen. There is actually another solution to the problem, and that is to cut the budget. Right. Like you don't actually oh, have not to spend, do that. spend the money. Um, and, you know, it's it's funny because it's like they're talking about like, you know, like pensions and education and stuff like that. And it's interesting. Um, I was I did a little math the other day and kind of kind of uh, kind of kind of relates to this. Um, so mm-hmm. basically uh, there was a there was a 1960s documentary I just happened to be watching on. And uh, it was basically talking about the cost of education in the ni- It was in 1964 specifically. And, uh, and I, I was like, OK, well, wonder what that is in today's dollars for education. And I looked it up and it's wait, what was it in 64 in 1964? I don't know what the number was in 1964 dollars, but in in 2023 dollars, it was one thousand eight hundred dollars. Do you want to know? Do you want to know what Croydon was spending uh, per pupil? Twenty eight thousand dollars. Twenty eight. Yep. Twenty eight thousand dollars per pupil. So that's 15 times. So, yeah, could we could we cut the budget? I'm pretty sure we could cut the budget in half and we'd still be fine. Well, I mean, you are talking about a local budget versus the federal. Uh, Yes, but a lot of that money comes from federal. There's a ton of waste. Right. Uh, Especially at the federal government level. If you want to weigh in, you can join us here at 603-283-6160. It is Free Talk Live. Join liberty-minded voluntarists, anarchists, and libertarians from June 15th through the 18th for the 7th Annual Fork Fest at Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. Fork Fest is a fork of the Porcupine Freedom Festival, which sold out in 2022. For 2023, we're going back to where it all started, the weekend before Pork Fest. Fork Fest is decentralized, which means that there's no ticket cost and no one is in charge. All you have to do to join the fun is reserve your camping site, RV site, or motel room with Rogers Campground for June 15th through the 18th. You can find out more at the unofficial website, ForkFest.Party. You can also connect with other attendees on the ForkFest Telegram and Matrix chat rooms, as well as the ForkFest Forum. You can find links to those at ForkFest.Party. 
We hope to see you there June 15th through the 18th. Forkfest.party. It's Free Talk Live. The phones are open, and you can join us here. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. And Free Talk Live brought to you by listeners like Nelson Aquino, who is a Free Talk Live supporter of our AMPS program over at amps.freetalklive.com. Nelson's uh, platinum level, which means he's doing, I think, at least 25 bucks a month. Thank you, Nelson, for that. We only ask for five, uh, so definitely appreciate the support. It helps us advertise, market, promote, and support Free Talk Live, which is right now uh, the only revenue that we have. We have no more uh, paying advertisers on Free Talk Live. Well, that's not good. Which, uh, you know, I don't know what the reason is. Maybe it's, as we discussed a couple weeks ago, perhaps it's the fact that advertising just isn't as effective as it once was. Maybe it has something to do with the fact the federal government is targeting us. Maybe advertisers don't want to be associated uh, with us as a result of that. But it's interesting that it all coincided with the end of the year when we were also cutting back on two entire commercial breaks per uh, per hour on the show. So we definitely need direct support. I want to definitely keep this thing going. Uh, we are at the the lowest level of funding that we've had in more than 15 years on Free Talk Live. So even though we have more radio stations than we've you know pretty much had generally, uh, it's uh, it's tougher times than it ever has been. So definitely appreciate people like Nelson helping us out over at amps.freetalklive.com. You can join us there as well, and it's still only five bucks a month, which you know five bucks now isn't what five bucks was uh, two years ago, right? Like you can't even buy 12 eggs these days for uh, for five bucks that's been in the news recently i don't know if you guys have noticed the price of eggs has been shooting up mm. uh, recently oh, do you have any idea what it was before and what it is now it was 99 cents or a dozen eggs yeah you can get you can get oh, what's eggs it now? for a buck for at least five okay yeah wow yeah so it's it's getting crazy out there uh, they've been discussing it in our chat room tonight over at chat.freetalklive.com if you want to join them. But please, join the AMPS program. Thank, uh, thanks again to El- uh, Nelson for doing that over at amps.freetalklive.com. That's our Patreon. You get some perks like access to the AMP-only podcast, which has the full show without any recorded commercials. It's there every single night. amps.freetalklive.com. Let's go to uh, Hatting calling us from Florida. You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead. Yes, when I tuned in, uh, you all were talking about... Do me a favor. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Just back off your phone by a couple of inches. You probably sound a little bit better. It's a little over right, well, overmodulated. You weren't able to hear me very well on the uh, screening, so yeah. I felt I needed to talk louder. No, please. Uh, keep, it, keep it low. We're good. We can turn you up. Okay, well, <clears throat> yeah, when I tuned in, you people were talking about the paradoxical Republican support for or opposition to abortion. Yeah. All right. This is something that it, it sort of started in the late 70s. You know, this kind of mobilization of religious fanaticism, uh, and it's somehow connected to neoconservatism. You watch uh, 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 Adam Curtis's, uh, you know, three-part uh, series, The Power of Nightmares. He talks about this, how the the... the, the the religious right sort of came into being in the late 70s. And uh, they've been an important 
factor in things like uh, inflexible support for the state of Israel. Uh, and uh, in domestic politics, they insist that uh, opposition to abortion be the sine qua non of holding office for Republican politicians, which has, I'm, in my opinion, this has been disastrous. Yeah, it definitely has. It definitely has. I mean, they thought they were going to win all kinds of brownie points for overturning Roe versus Wade this year, and it ended up biting them in the back. Well, I mean, I've, I've been aware of this for a long time. Back in 1994, um, I knew some women that were very active in organizing for Pat Buchanan as a Republican presidential candidate when he was trying to get the nomination. Yep. Okay. And I and I, I talked to these women. I said, you know, the really important question that's going to influence the future of the USA is immigration. That's the key thing. And when you talk about abortion, you're alienating a lot of people who might agree with us on immigration. And they were persuaded by me. They thought I was talking sense. And then they had communication with the Buchanan organization, and they found out, no, that's not the way it goes. It has to be anti-abortion. So, Mm -hmm. you know, they end up shooting themselves. We end up not getting restrictions on immigration because of this stupid... Well, I'm sorry. I got to disagree with you. They are also shooting themselves in the foot by not being friendly towards immigrants. I mean, there's a a ton of uh, conservative people in Mexico, a ton of Catholic uh, individuals Mm -hmm. down there who would really appreciate the Republican viewpoint on economics. But because they're not welcoming towards uh, towards them as human beings, they lose a ton of uh, potential supporters that way. Yeah, I mean, in most of of South America... And most of Central America, abortion is illegal because yeah, I, I honestly don't give a damn about that. All right, look, conservatism in the USA, if we were going to speak frankly, really has two completely separate foundations. There is a race-based conservatism, and there is this stupid religious-based conservatism. All right, now uh, what is what is a race-based conservatism? Race-based conservatives are people who are who understand that demographics matter. All right, the, the the composition of the population is of major importance in determining the future of the country. I see. So, I mean, would you describe yourself as a racist? I, you know, I don't go around putting provocative labels on myself, but in you know. Quietly, I would say, yeah, no, I, I, that's accurate. Okay, but, so that's why you I'm don't not, care about. That. That's I, why you don't care about human freedom to uh, to cross borders. You you uh, think that brown people are inferior to yourself? Is that correct? Well, they're they're not my people anyway. Listen, I'm, I'm they're not your people here. If you listen, if you listen to Rush Limbaugh carefully, he's dead. I know he's dead now, but you know he was hugely popular, wasn't he? He yeah, was he huge. Was, he was he was first. So yeah, he had the he had the network effect. Uh, that's certainly true. He spoke what a lot of people. Well, he's is kind of a little bit sneaky, but 
he was a race-based conservative. You had this religious stuff as kind of a veneer. I've never heard that claim before, and he worked with uh, a black gentleman who was on his, his crew every single day. Yeah, why, why do you think he had a black call screener? It was to deflect criticism. Okay, right? man. Because you, you well, that's an interesting listen, theory, those, uh, but thanks for the call tonight. The number here is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. The call screener he's referring to, uh, Bo Snerdly, I think was his on-air name. I don't know what his his real name is. That's probably, I'm guessing that's a radio name, probably not given to him by his, his parents. But when uh, Limbaugh passed away, Snerdly wrote a very lengthy piece about, you know, how influential he was and, you know, that he was his friend. You know, so I just mm-hmm. don't. Sorry, don't buy that. I don't know Rush Limbaugh. I, I certainly have not spent the time listening to him to listen for whatever dog whistles that this caller was suggesting that Rush Limbaugh might have been throwing out over the decades. But I, I don't buy it. Somebody who is, you know, a racist probably is not going to want to work hand in hand with somebody of a different color. Just don't. I just don't buy it. Uh, but you know, anyway, if you want to join the show, you can hear the number six zero three two eight three sixty one sixty. And and that guy's the reason why the Republican Party is in the, the bad shape that it is. Because he, as he said, he doesn't care about human freedom to cross borders. He doesn't care about the people in Mexico, Central America, or South America that are humans who want a better life for themselves. He doesn't care about that. All he cares about are his you know white brethren or whatever. And uh, and he thinks the Republican Party has a future in race-based politics. And let me tell you, it doesn't. Mm. Certainly not a good future. No, it's dying right now, at least here in New in New Hampshire. I mean, it's literally aging out. We've all been to the, the local Republican meetings, and yeah. uh, at least I know, you. I think you've been to some of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been. Yeah, and, you know, the average age there is probably 65. Okay, and that's being generous. Yeah. Uh, they know that they their time is running out, but yet they still continue. Now, I'm not I'm not saying they're all racist. I don't want. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go there and say that. Uh, but there's definitely some xenophobia with this particular group of people. There's definitely fear mm-hmm. of Muslims. There's fear of immigrants. There's fear of the other, and that mm-hmm. is not going to grow your party. The Democrats don't care yeah. about. I, I don't know. I would worry if there was a, a vast number of Muslims li- moving mm-hmm. into Keene, for example. Okay. Um, just because the uh, well, Robert Heinlein said that any religion will gen will if it obtains the power to do so will make its religion law. Yeah, and, and I, that's a legitimate uh, concern. Yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not quite the same thing as specifically Muslim, though. That I'd be concerned any, if it was Jehovah's any, Witnesses. Yeah, any group yeah, that's of a religious... I gotta say, I go one... one. St- I mean, there, there's a significant difference between Islam and any other religion that I know of, which is Islam is the only religion I know of where their prophet was physically involved in killing people for for not believing what he believed. Um was he though? Yeah, he, I mean they were uh they were a band that was uh roving around Saudi Arabia and killing off other uh sects, especially the ones that were not monotheistic. Hmm. Uh they didn't That's not how I recall the story. 
I mean, huh. I, uh, I, I can't say I'm a, a scholar or anything like this, and I wish we still had Will Coley here to uh, that we could just ring him up and and get him on the air and, and talk about this. You, you may not be a scholar in this department, but you are probably the best right on religions <laughs> that I know anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've read the Koran. I mean, I, I have done that. I, have I don't know that many people who have read the Koran. I, I have done some studying yeah. on the life of Muhammad, and my, my reading of it, now to be fair, I mean, I, I'm hearing this from other Muslims, right? So you know, take it with mm. a grain of salt. Uh, but the uh, my understanding was Muslims were being persecuted at that time. They were the ones who were defending themselves uh, mm. against being attacked and being murdered. And yeah, they would use violence to defend themselves. But Muhammad was known for saying that if your enemy turns and runs, you are not to give chase. You are not to you know stab somebody in the back or whatever. If your enemy's fighting mm. you and they make retreat, that's the end. It should end right there. So I don't. That doesn't sound like the kind of philosophy of you know kill them all, okay. uh, just murder everyone. I, I don't no, believe it, that. And it wasn't. It wasn't kill them all. It was force well, the survivors to convert, mm-hmm. as I understand it. Mm-hmm. Now I could be wrong on that. Um, I know that I, I that's must where. Admit that I have not read the. Uh, that's where some of the sects have gone. Uh, but, that's where the the believers have gone that have mm-hmm. uh, have sought control over the state. Certainly, they yeah. will force uh, conversions. And it, this goes back to what you were saying. Any place where religion can take control of government is going to enforce its religion on yeah. other people. And these are essentially, uh, you know, if if again, if Will were here, Will Coley, uh, who's an imam that was living in this area, and he was a, a liberty activist who is well uh, educated on this, I think he would point out that these are essentially unorthodox people, that the people who are the you know the Sunnis and the, the Shias or whatever, that these are not orthodox Muslims. They are not following uh, the teachings of Muhammad in the same way that Christians that are cheering on the warmongering state are not following the teachings of Jesus, right? The Christians that are mm. cheering on throwing uh, brown people coming from Mexico into a cage or forcing them back at the, the barrel of a gun or something like that. These are people who are not following the teachings of Jesus. They aren't following uh, peaceful teachings. So, I mean, all of, these, all of these major religions around the world have, every one of them has fallen away from the teachings of its original prophets. Even some of the Buddhists have gotten away from from that you know mm-hmm. buddha made the prediction that people were going that they shouldn't but they i think he made the prediction that they were going to see him as a god and that they shouldn't and some sects have have sort of raised him above the level of a man and that's not what buddha wanted either mm-hmm. so you've had this thing happen the world around unfortunately yeah I, that's that's definitely true and you know the other thing about Islam is it's it's a seven hundred years younger than Christianity. Yeah. So it's a teenager right now. It's it's thirteen centuries old. Um, <laughs> and if you look back at where Christianity was when it was thirteen centuries old, mm-hmm. well, that was when they were having the Thirty Years' War in. Uh, in Europe, where a lot of different flavors of Christians were killing each other for being the wrong flavor right. of Christian. What's new? And and so, you know, it may well be that this is what the terrible teens looks like for a, for a religion. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, that was be. funny. But I do agree. I don't want, uh, I don't want Muslims uh, being in the government. I don't want Christians being in the government. I don't want a government. I don't want to have a, yeah. a state organization that can force somebody's religious 
religious uh, beliefs down other people's throats. Well, let's go to Major Payne. He's in Michigan. You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead, Major. Yeah, I was watching one documentary, and there are some very insane sects of the Muslim religion. Sure. This guy was, this guy was preaching. If you find somebody that's a non-Muslim walking through the marketplace, they call you a kafir, which basically means you're a cow. He says you can kill him, you can take him and sell him, you can do whatever you want. Mm. That's spooky. For sure. Well, I mean, there's but, some insane. Uh, there's some insane versions of Christianity out there too. I mean, that was more or less the logic that justified slavery in the United States. Mm. Uh, they sure. they said that uh, well, black folks had, had descended from the Egyptians, and therefore, because the Egyptians uh, enslaved the Jews hundreds and hundreds of years ago, it was okay to randomly. Uh, you know, lock up their descendants. Well, it's always been spooky in the third world countries, and they are definitely a lot closer to the third world countries than we are. But uh, I'm, as far as Bo Snurdly goes, yeah. I got an interesting tale about that. All right. Uh, I heard it, I heard it uh, on a show just after Rush died when they were doing reminiscence and whatnot. And his original call screener that was with him for like a couple years was named Bo something or another. And so every call screener he had after that had to pick another acronym, Bo whatever. And uh, old Snurdly knew a story about somebody named Snurdly. Mm-hmm. So that's his the, the, the title he put on his dog tag, so to speak. Hmm. Did you? Uh, what do you think about the caller's claim? It sounds like you're familiar with the Rush Limbaugh show. Uh, what do you think about that caller's claim that Limbaugh was some secret racist or was uh, dog whistling to racists on his show? I, I, I think he was one of the biggest hearted men that ever stepped foot to the microphone, quite frankly. And he was very smart and very witty, and he brought a lot of sunshine to a lot of people's days for a lot of years. He was a good damn man. There you go. Major, anything else you want to share tonight? Oh, God, there was another one. Oh, what was it? Just uh, this Elon, Elon Musk taking over Twitter and whatnot. Yeah. Now all the documents popping out. Oh, yeah. That, uh, they were in collusion with the government for misinformation over the COVID and Big everything time. else. Yep. I'm thinking this is going to increase your listenership, dude, because there are people that are looking for a place to find the freaking truth. I sure hope so, Major. Thank you for the call tonight. Um, hopefully, Elon Musk being, uh, you know, loosening the rules over at Twitter a little bit may result in the Free Talk Live account actually having people seeing what it posts. But <laughs> generally, <laughs> that doesn't go so well for us. We've got, you know, 8,400 followers, but almost no one uh, sees what we post there. Yeah. Did you guys hear that Twitter, uh, the um, uh, he, uh, Elon Musk just actually did the opposite thing of what he was saying about like opening up and he's actually started shutting down accounts of uh uh, uh news uh news people reporters yeah are you talking about the there was something a couple few weeks ago where there were some they news were reporting his his location was in real time within the last couple of days i thought uh okay well that's that new i had not heard that one but i did hear about what nobody was saying which was there were some reporters that were uh, reporting on this one account that I guess keeps an yep. eye on Elon Musk's location. Yeah, that's that's, that's the just the story. Yeah, this is a couple weeks old that you're referring to. I wonder um, what uh, I wonder what the new thing was in the other day. As I understand it, he hmm. restored those people's accounts, including restoring Kathy Griffin's account, who okay. he sort of famously banned 
early on. But look, the guy is obviously, you know, it's his site, right? So if he gets a if he Absolutely. gets in a spat with somebody, <laughs> if he gets mad at somebody, then he's going to yeah. ban their I mean, account. The right? lesson the lesson to be learned here is obviously stop relying on centralized services yeah. and solutions because this is how problems get started. Right. I mean, the, he said that he's in favor of free speech, but then he refuses to unban Alex Jones. And then when asked right. why, because it was actually Kim.com who confronted him about this, and Kim.com's got a big enough personality to where Elon Musk will like respond to him. So they did have a little bit of a back and forth on this, and Kim.com got Elon Musk to explain why, well, if you're supposedly this free speech absolutist, as you have claimed to be, why don't you unblock Alex Jones from his account? And Musk said, well, Alex Jones, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but Alex Jones harmed children or something like that, referring to the court case (laughs) in uh, Connecticut regarding the school shooting and Alex having the belief at one time that the whole shooting thing was, you know, a a government fabrication, etc. And so that's what Elon was sort of relying on or leaning on to say that, well, okay, Musk shouldn't be. Yeah, free speech, yes, but no uh, no uh, Alex Jones. The funny thing is he, he probably just under- underestimated the viciousness of the federal government in that he didn't realize that if government wanted a pile of corpses, they wouldn't fake up a shooting. Mm-hmm. They'd just kill a bunch of people. Yeah. So, you know, the... The uh, the whole uh, the whole crisis actor thing was uh, I always thought it was a red herring. It's just crazy is what it is. I mean, if it's not itself some sort of government misinformation uh, Mm -hmm. plot, then it's Mm -hmm. just lunacy, basically, because I agree with you. Like, it's more plausible. Like, there's another version of a conspiracy, right? Like the other typical conspiracy of the mass shooter is that the government has brainwashed the mass shooter into going and actually doing that strikes me as more likely. Yes. Because yeah. it's the a it's the easiest way not to get caught mm-hmm. because you don't have these for example live crisis actors walking around That's looking absurd. exactly yeah. like the dead people, um, and you don't you know the the only cost to do it is you have to murder some people and that's not going to bother the government that's nope. like part that of that's the their mo yeah it's you know it's 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 a it's it's kind of sad it's yes it's something might be distasteful uh but it's far more dangerous to start banning people or censoring people um you know than than you know than the little bit of harm that it might you know feelings being hurt effectively uh might might occur mm. Well, I got to admit, Chris, I did ban a guy from the uh, social.freetalklive.com a few weeks ago. <laughs> and the reason I banned him is because the dude started reporting other users. I'm like, we don't want snitches around here. Mm, so you can go some yeah. other server. I got better things to do with my time than deal with these reports that come in because somebody doesn't like what somebody else says. Like, that's what the block button's for. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's why we actually have something in our terms of service. It's like you're not welcome <laughs> if you want to snitch on people. That's because, hilarious. Yeah. So otherwise, you can post whatever whatever you want to. You should hack the uh, the snitch button to mm. just um, to just show up a screen that instead of taking a report, just says block them. That would be sweet. Unfortunately, there's just so many other things that we should be doing with uh, with our time than yeah. than messing with. Uh, yeah, with I, I'm not. And just to be clear, I'm not trying to suggest that there's never like 
a reason to kick somebody off of your service. It's yeah. uh, what I'm saying is I just because I even if you want them kicked off your service doesn't necessarily mean that they shouldn't have a service or something to go to. Right. Like, there are other there's, options. There's a, right. Yeah. And, and that's and there's I think there's a huge difference between the two. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's literally thousands of Mastodon instances right. out there. You can find one that is more like you and then yep. you'll be less likely to be banned from yeah. that server. Uh, what they are, I don't know. I'm sure you can find some list somewhere. You but certainly didn't ban him from Mastodon. <laughs> no, no, you can't. <laughs> right, can't right, that. exactly, which is the great thing about Mastodon. But yeah, it would be nice if there was a uh, version of Mastodon out there where somebody stripped out the reporting uh, thing because we get most of the reports that come in, and they don't happen very often, but most of the reports that come in actually come from people who aren't even on our server. They're reporting someone on our server mm. to us for saying something that they don't like, having an opinion that they don't care for. That's fine. And we just ignore it. And them. that's something you'd probably want an auto response for, just so you don't just yeah. ignore your request. You tell them why it's being ignored. More coming up. <laughs> is free talk live and welcome to the second hour of the program phones are open if you want to join us the number is 603-283-6160 that's 603-283-6160 here in the studio it's ian nobody and chris you can join us online anytime you want just head on over to freetalklive.com chris has a story when we get a chance but we've actually had some Good calls here so far tonight. Of course, prefer to hear from you with whatever's on your mind. But Chris has a story about an attack on cryptocurrency happening not in the U.S., but Canada. And I don't know if it's an attack on cryptocurrency, but maybe indirectly. We'll get into it. Uh, and then also, I've got one from Bulgaria, where they're going after a crypto lending firm called Nexo. Uh, so we can get into those stories. But, of course, your calls and thoughts are welcome. Uh, let's go to the phones. And to the phone, we got Dave Ridley on the line from Ridley Report. Oh, hey, Dave. Com. Hey, Dave. What's on your mind? Hey, guys. So uh, the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance it, it gets the this, this subtlety award for the, uh, for the month. Hmm. Um, they, they have made a, uh, a declaration, a ruling or a declaration, whatever you want to call it, that, that uh, in, has increased my faith in them, which hmm. is already pretty high. But like, so there's this problem with like liberty bill, or you know, people will submit a liberty bill. Like we're going, our plan is to force the government to spend more money on liberty, you know, hmm. or we're going to force people not to engage in activities with each other that we think are not pro freedom, you know, like like uh, the the you know uh, attempts to uh, restrict unions or attempts to uh, make public schools do certain things that might be pro-freedom, but they cost more tax dollars, right? Mm. So oftentimes you'll find liberty organizations just jump right on that bandwagon and try to, you know, increase that funding for liberty, right? Mm. Uh, but the, the Liberty Alliance didn't do that um, in, 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 this, in this case here. So there's this bill called uh, House Bill 102, quote-unquote, requiring high schools to include instruction on the nature and history of communism, unquote. And to my pleasant surprise, the Liberty Alliance opposed this, uh, <laughs> even though it, we, it, on the surface it would seem like it's kind of a, a pro-freedom thing. Yeah, well, I mean, plus, 
How are you going to be able to control what all the teachers say about communism? Oh, yeah, sure, we'll instruct the kids on the nature of communism. And then if it's a communist who's the teacher, then mm-hmm. obviously they're going to have a different opinion than uh, somebody who is critical of, of communism as a teacher. Yeah, and if you, if you think about it, um, like one of the things that liberals are upset about in New Hampshire these days is that, or progressives or whatever you want to call them, um, they're, they're, they're upset about, like, liberty folks have been associated, rightly or wrongly, with these new restrictions on teaching critical race theory. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's these new bills in New Hampshire, they came, they came laws that said, well, you can't teach critical race theory in the schools. Well, how do you, how does that work? How do you stop a teachers from opening and closing their mouth on whatever they're thinking? You know, that's just not the place to draw the line. Yeah, you, uh, you're bringing up something that has become quite controversial and, and essentially it is very hard to enforce because the only way you would find out what a teacher is saying is if one of the students in the class was to uh, reveal that and essentially, you know, rat them out. So it's been hard for them to enforce that, but essentially it was a big for the conservative types and for the uh, libertarians who, who backed that particular legislation it, it was basically just something that they could pat themselves on the back and, you know, show off to their constituents to, to pretend like they were doing something about critical race theory. Well, and I, I was having a conversation with a progressive dude that I, that I know, uh, and he was saying, this is like a book ban, right? You know, it, it, these libertarians are putting a book ban on us practically. Uh, and I couldn't, I, couldn't argue, I couldn't argue with him. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I mean, I, I get their argument. Their argument would be that, look, this is the state school system. If you want to uh, teach critical race theory, which is essentially teaching racism, as I understand it. I mean, the, the idea is that the critical race theory teaches that white people are bad and it's so on and so forth. Uh, that, uh, you know, white people are all oppressors, things like that. It's just ridiculous nonsense. So, I mean, I agree that it should not be taught. I, I don't want to see my tax dollars going to teaching that. So I understand their argument is that, look, as long as we're all being coerced into supporting this system, the system shouldn't be teaching kids to be racist, uh, should not teach kids. Uh, kids that one race is better than than the other and and that's the way the legislation is written it's not written as i recall to specifically quote unquote ban critical race theory but it bans the teaching that one race is superior uh to another and that's not particularly offensive to me from their from their perspective but i understand that the counter arguments too is like well how can you restrict what teachers say well the answer is they're government school teachers if you want to teach critical race theory then Take your kids to a private school that teaches critical race theory. So, I mean, uh, I wish they would just propose abolishing the government schools altogether. Yeah, total separation between church and state is so much cleaner. (laughs) Yeah, you know what we need is we need a separation between school and state. I'm sorry, did I say church? I meant to say school there. (laughs) Well, the schools are essentially a government church, right? Yeah, Yeah. right, right, right. They're the Um, Sunday school of... Yeah, this is this is sort of like or, money and state, right? Uh, we need to separate money from state. I think that's where the problem really lies here, Dave, is that these uh, liberty reps are not hardcore enough. We have not gone far enough into getting enough free staters elected to where they feel like they're comfortable actually putting forward some principled legislation like abolishing government schools entirely. Yeah, or they could just reduce the funding, you know, do a de- defunding thing, or they could make it impossible to arrest anyone for 
failing to fund the government schools. Yeah, sure. Right? You know, make, you know what, make it. Im- it's actually interesting right. uh, that you say that because the, as I understand it, the state actually budget has reduced funding to the uh, schools in New Hampshire. Um, and it's more, uh, the, the burden is now more on the local, uh, tax dollars as opposed to the state state. Well, yeah, but the state still gets, it's, a it's not a home rule state. So if the state wants to completely, you know, negate funding, for right, the, they could do that. Could. All I'm saying is that they have, they have removed some of the, I guess, however the state gets its money. They've, they've, they have not, they're not sending as much to the local schools. Yeah. The yeah. locals are mad, mad about right. that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but yeah, we need more hardcore uh, legislation being proposed. We know it's not going to pass, right? Like, for instance, Matt Santanastasso probably is the most hardcore pro-liberty uh, state rep out there. He got a 100% on the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance ratings last year. He's uh, As of uh, this year, it's his second term as a state representative. He's our nightcap rep, by the way. He used to come out and hang out with oh, us yeah. at uh, nightcap here in Keene. And it turns out he's like the most principled guy. He put forward a bill this year. And it's probably going to get hacked up in committee or whatever. But (laughs) he put forward a bill that would, if passed as originally proposed, would eliminate the war on drugs in New Hampshire. We finally got it. After all these years of nibbling at the edges on marijuana, and oh, we're going to try to decriminalize mushrooms, which I support all that, right? Hmm. We've never had until now an actual proposal to literally strike from the New Hampshire statutes the entirety of drug prohibition. So it would just be gone entirely. And uh, so we'll see how that goes. It'll be interesting to see what kind of results that gets. Be a beautiful thing. Yeah. Can't wait to see and that hearing. There are a, Go ahead. There are a thousand hacking at the branches for everyone striking at the root. Indeed, Ridley. Uh, anything else you want to share tonight? That is all. Thanks for the call. He does mention, by the way, the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance, and we didn't explain uh, for you what that is. Do either of you want to uh, take a crack at explaining the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance? I'll pass. So it's uh, an organization that, as far as I know, doesn't exist anywhere else in the United States. They actually are a libertarian-created group. They're they're founded by New Hampshire natives, and I believe some free staters, if I recall correctly. Founded something like 20 years ago. I believe it was like right at the very beginning of, uh, it may have even been before the Free State Project took, uh, took New Hampshire as its destination state. So it might have just been natives that found it. But anyway, it's, there's a lot of free staters that volunteer for it. And what they do is they actually look at all of the legislation that gets proposed, so in New Hampshire, it's generally like 800 to 1,000 bills every single year. That's a lot of uh, potential legislation to look through. But they look through as much of it as they possibly can with the volunteers that they have. It's a completely volunteer organization. Uh, Zephin, who we've had on the show, is the number one bill review guy. He did almost 400 bills on his wow. own last year. I mean, it's an incredible level of dedication to... What is a brutal task of having to actually read legislation? I don't know about you, but I hate reading legalese and oh, yeah. reading it's legislative things. Terrible. I, I do it every once in a while, and it's like, It's oh. hard. But some people enjoy it. Yeah. And uh, those people who enjoy digging through legislation, uh, they should, if you're a liberty-minded person, you should get active with the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance because they need help. They need as many people to 
go through these 800, I don't know how many it is this year, but I'm just going to guess somewhere over 800 if it's pretty consistent with previous years. So they read those bills and they have a system that other you know liberty-minded programmers have programmed that's an online uh, web form and you can select the bill you want to review. You can read through the bill and then it ha- asks you a series of questions about the bill, like, does it affect liberty, positive or negative? And so you sort of give it a score and then you answer several questions about how or what it does. And, you know, that way you can show that, you know, you know, you've actually looked at it and you can answer these questions. And so then that gets submitted. Other people can review that as well. And other people can also review the same bill. So even though you might have already reviewed a bill as, say, negative for liberty, somebody else might be able to come in and say, oh, you missed you're not right about this here you you missed this part it's actually positive for liberty because you read it the wrong way and so then you have two different reviewers with different opinions <laughs> and so it's you know it's not a one size fits all thing the more people that can kind of get their eyes on these things the better cuz sometimes you'll miss something right like reading legalese is not the easiest thing to do sometimes it's it's there uh, some of these bills are sometimes lengthy too yeah. um, or or not even lengthy just like it'll be like 90% of the bill is like eh. You know, uh, not necessarily great, but it doesn't necessarily have any impact. And then there'll be like this last part at the very bottom of this bill. Like there was this Democrat bill that was like that. And the very last part was great. And it had to it had to do with basically um, uh, giving people the right to demand the source code for the devices that the government used to create evidence against you. So think mm-hmm. of it like a speed camera, mm-hmm. right? If they use a speed camera against you to create evidence, well, then you have to be able to, you know, see the sources and that okay. sources has bugs. And, you know, so therefore you can you can you can prove in court that that evidence is defective right and you can't tell you to show you the code they right right even, well this bill would, would guarantee you that right to see that evidence of course you're never going to see that source code mm-hmm. so it basically would mean that all that evidence would have to be thrown dismissed out dismissed the case yeah. yeah did that pass no okay. it was no chance of passing because it had 90 percent of it you know, like the, the first 90 percent of it um was was stuff that was like it was like a wish list for democrats mm. but there was one part in it that was great. If they just cut out the first ninety percent, libertarians could have gotten behind it. Well, usually <laughs> in New Hampshire, usually there's only one subject per bill. You don't get to do a bunch of different things in one. Well, bill. like it had stuff in it that was like, I I don't know. I mean, maybe it was like I'm trying to think. One of the examples it was like something to the effect of, uh, some sort of employment contract thing. And it, like you, it basically would say, okay, you don't have to comply with the employment contract terms or something. Um, and it was kind of weird because it was very specific to free software developers. And it's like, well, no free so software developer, software related bill. Overall. Yeah, okay. um, but it had multiple aspects to it, and it's like nobody who's a free software developer is going to agree to those terms in an employment contract in the first place. So who's this actually going to affect? Nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, but this last part I of this probably bill would not agree to those terms. Right. Exactly. And so it's like, I wouldn't agree to them either. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, like free software people aren't going to agree to them. And if this is only applicable to free software people, then it, there's no point in this bill. I mean, well, mm. except for that last part. Right. So it's like, okay, if you pass this, only good things could happen mm-hmm. basically is how I, I mm. saw it. But those other parts result in like liber- other libertarians not understanding it all and like yeah. refusing to to go along with it. But this, I think, is a good example of where you could kind of have two different perspectives on things. And t- sometimes things aren't really, you know, they're not they're not totally black and white. I don't think that's that's true sometimes. Uh, so that's one of the things the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance does is they review the bills as many of them as they possibly can. Hundreds of the several hundred that there are. And then at the end of the year, uh, they they do a grading 
uh, on the state reps. They actually look at how they re- uh, the reps voted, and there's 400 state reps in New Hampshire. So again, this is a huge undertaking to look at how all 400 of the state reps voted on key bills. They don't look at all 800 bills or whatever. They only look at certain things that they believed would affect liberty, you know, either in a negative or a positive manner. And uh, they come up with a score based on the voting record of each of these individuals. And then they publish those scores in a document that comes out every year. And they pick the top uh, winner, basically, for the Le- Liberty Legislator of the Year Award. And they give that out. And so that's a cool thing. So some of these state reps actually want to get a good score, right? Like they're this is a badge of honor for them to be pro-Liberty. And so it's, it's kind of this uh, incentive for some of the state reps and more liberty-leaning reps to be a little more liberty-friendly than they might otherwise be because they don't want to get a bad score from this relatively influential organization. And the other thing that they do is they take the recommendations that if you were to be one of their bill reviewers, and by the way, you can you can help the Liberty Alliance if you don't live in New Hampshire. You don't need to live here to read a bill and and review it. So if you're looking for a way to help the New Hampshire freedom movement from outside of New Hampshire, besides just donating money or whatever, this is a good way to do it. So you may want to get in touch with them. NHLiberty.org is their website. So the final thing they do is they take the reviews that their uh, their volunteers create, and then they create every single week during the le- legislative session, which is only part-time here in New Hampshire. So every every week when the full state house comes to meet, when they all all 400 of them go into that big reps hall, there's Liberty Alliance volunteers standing outside of the entrances holding what they call the gold standard, which is a, uh, a bill recommendation sheet. So they've got a summary. They know what bills are going to get voted on that day. And they've got a list of all the bills that are coming up for a vote and whether or not that bill is pro or anti-liberty. And then maybe a little blurb as to why. So for for state reps, you know, you can't possibly know what 800 bills are right like as an individual you cannot know yeah i've seen this firsthand having an impact and it's always interesting it was interesting like a couple times when i've watched it it's so interesting because you you'll see like certain reps like you can tell what side they're on Mm -hmm. because they won't take the gold gold standard card and others will and it's just it's very entertaining yeah so they hand out recommendations to the state reps as they walk into the chamber and in some places you get that from the parties right like it's pretty common for the republicans to tell all the republicans all right well if you're a good republican you'll vote with us on this these issues or the democrats will stay that's the job of the whip whip. right Mm. so they'll say the same thing to their democrats but in new hampshire you actually have the libertarians giving voting recommendations out as these people walk in so I, i am a huge fan of what they do over at the new hampshire liberty alliance it's something that would be very hard for anybody uh any other liberty movement anywhere to actually do where you know in other states good luck uh, putting putting the volunteer hours together for something like this, putting the technical side of things, because again they get they've got a whole system, right? Like there's a website you go to, you can do the bill reviews and and you can look up stuff, and it's really really useful. They've even got their own uh, site where you can follow certain bills, even if you're not a bill reviewer, if you're just a member of the organization, you can. If let's say you you know uh, let's let's say the bill about uh, ending the war on drugs, I can go on their site. I can put in the bill number and say, I want to watch this bill. And then anytime something happens with that bill, I'll get an email. So if the bill gets a vote, if there's a, like a hearing coming up where people can go and speak, I'll find out about that. If the bill gets voted on, I'll find out about that. Like every step along the way, you can really kind of keep an eye on certain things that you like, which is pretty cool. 
So hmm. check those guys out. They're definitely worth uh, a close look. The New Hampshire Liberty Alliance. Chris, you wanted to talk to us tonight about cryptocurrency, and it ties in with the discussion that we were having, I think it was last night on the show, where the SEC is continuing to file lawsuits against cryptocurrency-related companies, developers. Uh, we've, of course, seen them going after Library, which they sadly won the Library case, and they have yet to come up with a settlement there. That's going to likely destroy the Library Corporation, LBRY, unfortunately, but uh, we'll, we'll keep you up to date as that sis, uh, situation develops. The SEC is now going after Gemini Exchange and Genesis for creating um, essentially a, an earn program where customers could deposit their crypto and, mm. and get a, you know 5% or something like that APR. They're coming after them, saying those are securities, unregistered securities. But it's not just happening in the United States. Chris, you've got a story out of Canada. Yeah. Um, that's right. Um, this is, and this is, this is, this is a different, uh, a bit of a. I think this is a little bit different, but it's yeah, it's an attack on. Uh, well, well, if this is the Canadian version of the SEC, is it not that we're I, about yeah, to talk yeah, about? Yeah, I believe so. Um, but it's it's a little bit different. And right. So I what I would say is I. I don't think it's a it, you might say it's an attack on cryptocurrency, but I think it's more of an indirect attack on cryptocurrency because I wouldn't consider Tether to be a cryptocurrency. But well, let's hear it. What, what, what point, are they trying right? to do? So uh, Crypto.com is reporting will de- Crypto.com will delist Tether in Canada to comply with Ontario regulator. So it's this exchange said it will no longer facilitate transactions associated with the stable coin at the end of the month. And it, it, I think I think what's interesting about this is uh, for those who aren't aware, Tether is, I, and I don't know, maybe you maybe you know better than I. I know you haven't been able to use crypto, Ian, but um, is Tether still the number one stablecoin? It is. It is. Okay, so this is, as I understand it, it's like the thing that people buy in order to then buy other cryptocurrencies. Um, so if you remove it, it, might have an impact on the on the market. Yeah, Tether right now has it's the number three coin overall when you look at market cap size. So Bitcoin, Ethereum, then Tether, and it has a sixty five point nine billion dollar market cap. The second place stable stable coin, which has been gaining on Tether over the last few years, is USDC or USD coin at forty three point two billion. So it's still got a ways another twenty billion or so to uh, to catch up to them. So it's this is a big attack on cryptocurrency in canada i mean uh, you're you're downplaying this somewhat chris but you know and whatever you th- feel about tether as its own operation whether or not it's honest well, I, whether or not i'm not they trying have- to downplay it so much as to make a distinction between the two different things right so it's it's an attack on cryptocurrency overall maybe but it's indirect in that it's going after a stable coin that people who trade cryptocurrencies rely on right that's all i'm saying well that's a huge attack on the cryptocurrency industry because people rely on tether and I, now they're going to pull that I just carpet out from under them i just don't like the use of the word cryptocurrency to describe tether that's all i'm saying tether is a <laughs> crypto token so what tether is is it is a uh for listeners that aren't familiar it runs on uh, ethereum right Primarily, but it also yeah. runs on, I think, Bitcoin Cash and Solana, and there's a bunch of other uh, cryptos that can have tokens, mm-hmm. and there are Tether variants for those as well, but probably the super majority of it is on the Ethereum blockchain. I haven't looked at the breakdown in a while, but I think they're on, like, I don't know, seven or eight at least different uh, different systems out there. Okay. So for listeners that aren't familiar, you've got uh, cryptocurrency, which is sort of these, what you might call the level one coins. So Bitcoin is an example of that. Ethereum uh dash whatever these other cryptocurrencies bitcoin cash 
And then some of these coins, Bitcoin is not one of them. Ethereum is. Uh, some of these coins have made it so you can create what they call cryptocurrency tokens on their blockchains. And that means that essentially it's a platform where anybody who wants to can go and just create a token on these platforms. We'll talk a little bit more yeah. about that and what that means and what this is. Why this is a huge attack on the cryptocurrency industry basically trying to sounds like they're trying to ban Tether in uh, in Canada. Well, I want to hear more about the story coming up here. The number is 603-283-6160. You can join us. It is Free Talk Live. Phones are open. You can join us. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Coming up uh, tomorrow night, 1030 Eastern Time, you can join Nobody and a couple of our other show hosts, Captain Kickass, Peakless Mountaineer for Beard Talk Live. Uh, that happens after hours. It is a late night show starting at 10.30 Eastern Time, only on our video streaming uh, platforms like Odyssey, which you can find over at video.freetalklive.com. No FCC, so it's uh, open phones and, and open mic, meaning you don't actually have any... Uh, we don't even run the dump software. We can't hit the dump button uh, during... <laughs> beard talk live so be sure to join those guys and if you can't join them live you can always just listen to the archive which appears in our normal podcast which you can get over at feeds.freetalklive.com that's feeds.freetalklive.com we'll talk more about what's going on in canada a with this uh situation uh, affecting the tether quote-unquote crypto it's not you know, as you point out chris it's not a true cryptocurrency we, but we may not have a, a solution to what tether solves the problem tether solves but i would like to see a technical solution as opposed to a centralized solution that we, we can talk about tether that is. too coming up yeah. here in a few minutes uh, we still have to kind of explain what it yeah, is yeah, definitely uh, but first we have tom in new hampshire i believe tom you're on free talk live uh yeah good evening it's about uh counterfeit postage stamps oh it's kind of <clears throat> well there's a lot of them and this has been going on uh, for a few years now. And hmm. uh, the Postal Service is aware of it, and they uh, publish uh, you know, a, a press release about it and a video about it. What's go- what goes on is, is, I'm not talking about legitimate discount postage, mm-hmm. which is typically, uh, you know, okay, who wants a whole bunch of 29-cent commemorative stamps? Okay, well, you, you're lucky if you... If your Uncle Joe passes away and leaves behind all these sheets of, you know, got carried away buying up too many of every new commemorative stamp, you're lucky to get half the face value, you know, if you're trying to sell them off to dealers and stuff, because nobody collects stamps anymore, and uh, there's no demand for them. I'm talking about rolls of forever stamps. I'm talking Mm. about sheets of forever stamps. Well, right, because some number of years ago, they started putting the word forever on the first-class stamp. And the claim was, hey, if you buy this at whatever the current rate is for a first-class stamp, it'll always be good as a first-class stamp. So if you bought a forever stamp at $0.45, cents, which was only a few years ago, by the way, uh, then you would still be able to put that on an envelope today, even though the stamp price, by the way, is going up again to $0.63 cents, uh, per stamp. So that's what well, the whole forever thing was. But what they're doing is they're selling them for $0.50 cents on the dollar. You know, like rolls of a thousand, or rolls of a hundred of them, 
which should be $60 right now, and selling them for $30 a roll. You're saying counterfeiters are selling these stamps. The counterfeiters, they say they're being counterfeit in China and smuggled into the United States. Wow. They have caught big batches of them, but I see these websites where they're selling these things for half the face value, and the websites are still there like a month later, two months later. I don't know why they're so slow in shutting them down. But just let me point something out to people that uh, when you take a look at those websites and they're offering them for 50 cents on the dollar and you want, are these ones real or fake? Mm. Well, there's illustrations of them, but of course, counterfeiters would just put uh, pictures on the website, illustrations made from real postage stamps and say, this will we'll sell you, you know, sheets of this. And it, it, it really is a real, it's a picture, but that's not mm-hmm. what they're going to sell you. They're going to sell you counterfeits that look a whole lot like that picture. Out of curiosity, yeah, do, do these stamps actually, these counterfeit ones, do they actually work? Oh, yeah. So they uh, figured out how to put the uh, phosphorescent tagging on them. And the postal inspectors had uh, need to uh, get into uh, figuring out how to trace these back to give these get these people to reverse the credit card charges. You know, hey, you know, the little old lady who buys a roll of them to put on uh, the, the Christmas cards and mail them out, you don't want to throw her in jail. She doesn't know that these are fake, but you want to mm. help her get her money mm. back and charge it back to the counterfeiters. So, And raid the place for crying out loud if they're selling counterfeit stamps take the counterfeit stamps out of there, you know? Wow, that's interesting. So you said there's some sort of phosphorescence of the stamps? There's some kind of security feature that... Oh, they... yeah. In the in, in the 1970s and, and be, around that time, they started putting this special tagging on every stamp for the purpose of uh, when they're going through the machines, that picks up, uh, okay, there's the corner that has the stamp on it, so that you face the letter this way and you put it through the machine that way, and then it goes through the canceling machine. That's what those were for. But uh, mm-hmm. the fake stamps didn't used to have that one until last year. Ooh, and wow. they started putting that on them. And they're coming out of China in humongous amounts. <laughs> and, I mean, why not? I mean, if you can get 50 cents uh, for uh, half the value of it. Amazing. Then, yeah, they, they mark them down. And they claim that they're just buying these from... Uh, businesses that go out of business, mailing houses that went out of business. You're saying like the that. sites that are, you're saying the websites yeah. that are marketing these stamps are marketing this and saying, well, you know, we're just buying these legitimately. These aren't counterfeit. And yeah. how would they know necessarily? I mean, maybe they do, maybe they don't. Yeah, it's kind of hard to prove that they knew that they're counterfeit, especially mm-hmm. if they're good counterfeits. But mm. uh, you definitely don't uh, patronize those websites. It's If they're selling them for 50 cents on the dollar and they're the you know latest and greatest forever stamps, they're fake. It's, it's too good to be true. But you can still get yesteryear's uh, twenty nine cent commemoratives that are genuine for fifty cents on the dollar. These are legitimately. Ones, you, know, you can yeah. get those legitimately. Oh, yeah, stamp shows and stuff because okay. uh, no, there's just no demand for those uh, inconvenient denominations, and you know that that's what that's about. Wow. So basically what you're saying is the U.S. Postal Service, by introducing the forever stamp, killed the demand for the old denominations because who yeah. wants those things? Who wants to deal with cal- mm. you know, to- totaling up the number, uh, getting the right number of stamps on? Oh, you need an extra one cent stamp. Hmm? I do it. Well, yeah, but you're a dork. 
Okay. Thanks for the call, Tom. Uh, the number here is six. But interesting call. I will say that. I mean, that's uh, I'd, I'd seen a headline about the counterfeit stamps recently. I did not realize that you know they were actually most people just don't send out enough letters to these uh, days. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. to war- worrying about yeah. or, or or buying up discounted stamps in the first place. <laughs> that's a great point. Uh, if you want to join the show here, the number is 603-283-6160. It does bring up a story that I had in show prep here, and that is that the price of the stamps are going up again, uh, according to CNET. As of January 22nd, first-class stamps are going up from $0.60 cents to $0.63. Cents. I thought they were 55 I didn't even know they were going. Uh, I didn't even know about the increase to $0.60. Cents. I, I didn't even I had no idea what the price of stamp uh, will go for these days. And you I ship just, stuff out for a living. I, I do, but it's, uh, it's, you know what it is? It's, I don't, well, usually I don't take care of the actual stamping, so I just get a bill for that, and then... You know, as far as like mm-hmm. packages, it's it's not you're not going to use stamps to send out a three or four dollar package. You're just going to you're going to print the print postage. that out with the postage already on it. So, yeah, uh, apparently it was the last time it was 55 cents was in 2021 when they raised it in January to 55 cents. It then went to 58 in August of 2021 to 60 uh, July of the following year. And then uh, this year it's going up to 63 cents. So the last time, I remember when it was like 45 cents, that was a decade ago. So it's gone up almost 50% in the last 10 years. I probably would have guessed it was like 44 or 45 cents uh, last time I remember like hearing about it. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. There's that news. All right. So we were talking about other money related things. Your, uh, your story, Chris, is about Canada where their version of the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, some sort of similar name, in Canada has targeted cryptocurrency exchange crypto.com and maybe some others with a threat regarding Tether. What's going on? Yeah. So um, Tether is basically a centralized, uh, it's backed by a centralized corporation. Yes. And uh, it's considered a so-called stable coin. And the idea is that for each Tether, there is $1 supposedly that this corporation has in a vault or a bank account somewhere and the problem with the Tether Corporation is they've never allowed their uh, they've never yeah. allowed a third party <laughs> audit supposedly of their uh, reserves. So we really don't know. There's like a big question mark about yeah, the Tether it, company. It, people may be relying on uh, false promises, basically in that regard. So, but it, you basically are paying a dollar for per Tether, right? And that's what you would pay on the market for. A tether, they're giving correct. you a dollar per Tether, I guess, if you try to cash out so to speak so but they won't because tether will not take retail customers for cash outs you can only uh cash out through crypto exchanges who accept tether okay uh tether's corporation will only accept big 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 players for potential cash outs as i understand it interesting yes you don't you don't just get to ring them up and say i got 10 tether can i get ten dollars in my bed it doesn't happen so um basically um cryptocurrency is you know it's decentral what i would call a cryptocurrency is decentralized and uh you're basically I, 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 at least the ones that are out there are generally their their value is sort of based on them what the market will allow right mm-hmm, sure uh they're based That's on the true supply and original demand. cryptocurrency right right uh so people will buy these tether uh in order to trade cryptocurrencies uh you know trade for other cryptocurrencies basically like actual cryptocurrencies so okay so cryptocurrency exchange crypto.com will no longer facilitate transactions involving tether in canada 
just to be clear, hmm. and plans to delist the largest stablecoin by market capitalization for customers in the region. Crypto.com has delisted the USDT for users in Canada in accordance with in, uh, instructions from the Ontario Securities Ex- Security. They, I'm sorry, they call it the Securities Commission, not Securities Exchange Commission. I think I may have said Probably that. Probably the same thing. Though. But yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it is. As part of our pre registration undertaking for a restricted dealer license, a spokesman from crypto.com told Decrypt. So apparently that's that's what's going on. So Canada is putting some sort of new regulation in, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, can, Canadian users of the exchange were notified about the company's change in policy on Tuesday via email as images of the delisting notice began to crop up on both Reddit and Twitter. This is the interesting part. The notice is stated crypto.com supported tether will end on January 31st without specify specifically stating users in Canada would Ooh. only be affected. So, so people, people were thinking this out. was like everywhere. Right. Mm. And remember, um, you know, tether is sort of the back, you know, it's it's the cornerstone of the whole crypto world. Um, so at least, at least of the crypto exchanges, crypto trading world, I yeah. think is, is the way to phrase it. Yeah. Um, people who invest in it, so to speak. Uh, prompting confusion on behalf of some of some on social media. The exchange warned users that all trading deposits and withdrawals will not be facilitated after the deadline. Please take urgent action to review your wow. USDT balance and take necessary action. The notice stated. Any remaining USDT balances would automatically be converted to Circle USD coin, hmm. which is another so stable coin. Do, do they say? I mean, maybe maybe it's coming up, but do they explain why they're going after Tether as, as opposed to going after all stable coins? I I think it sounds like. I mean, okay, so I don't. I think it sounds like they haven't. I, there's some sort of registration that has to occur, so oh, they probably just so need Tether time in order to jump through the hoops. I'm guessing, ah, uh, okay, or maybe okay. they just don't want to jump through those hoops, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Canada's not the biggest market; it's a small country mm. population-wise, so you know, maybe it's just too much regulation for them to bother. Okay, uh, and there are apparently other stable coins that they can use. So yes, there are. Yeah, Tether is the third largest digital asset by market capitalization and crypto's largest stable coin, according to data from CoinGecko, with a total value of sixty-six billion dollars. As you were stating earlier, yep. USD coin currently is uh, second among stable coins at nearly forty-three billion dollars in total value, but gained ground against Tether last year. Well, if this keeps up, <laughs> they may uh, they may out mm-hmm. uh, do it here shortly. Stable coins play an integral role in crypto ecosystem, giving people an option to swap cryptocurrencies for a more stable store of value. Which I again I hate that word. It's it's not. It's a declining, uh, you know. Well, yes, you, store of value. It's stable with res- You can only be stable with respect to something else. Yeah, right, right, right. That's, that's true. To right. Else. Yeah. So you know that the, it's stable in relation to the dollar. You know that the dollar is going to go down over time, but the odds that the dollar is going to crash ten percent overnight. That's true. Relatively slim. And the so chances... You, you know that you... Well, it does chances, happen. That's what happens when Bitcoin goes up 10% in a night. I, I was going to say, the chances of it going <laughs> upward are zero, right? So I don't yeah. think... Has it, has it ever gone up? I think it's always gone down, right? There's the value no, of the dollar? Yeah. I mean, it's not like yeah, it's... Yeah, it just goes down. Yeah. So if, if you ever hear the media saying, the dollar's up, they're comparing it to other uh, fiat currencies. Right, right. So it's just a race to the bottom for, for all of them. Right. Mm. 
Uh, let's see. For a more stable store of value without converting digital assets into so-called fiat money, such as the U.S. dollar. Right. So this is the value. And it took me a long time to figure out the value of stable coins because I couldn't understand it early on. Like, why would someone want yeah. a digital I, version I, of I the dollar? I get it. But, yeah, but you're, reason, you're a great person to explain the it. The reason is, done I, think, the trading. I think nobody you would explain this, this to me stuff. at some point, was mm-hmm. if you are on an exchange, which I'm not allowed to be due to my uh, crypto restrictions on my bail conditions, but if you're on an exchange and you have, let's say, Bitcoin... And you are of the belief that Bitcoin is going to fall in value. Mm-hmm. Then what you would do, and of course you have no idea what the future is going to hold. So this is just your, your belief, right? Like you believe Bitcoin is going to go down. So what you do is you sell your Bitcoin on the exchange for Tether or USDC or one of these other stable coins. You get, let's say, let's say Bitcoin's at $20,000. Right now, actually, Bitcoin's above $20,000 today. It's been going up over the last 24 hours. Doing well. Nice. Uh, but uh, let's say it's $20,000, but you think it's going to crash. This is a dead cat bounce. This Bitcoin is going down to $10,000. That's your belief. So you, you, you sell it at what you consider to be the top of $20,000, and you get 20000 tether. Okay, and that's in your exchange account. And then if it comes true and the Bitcoin crashes after when you thought it was going to, Bitcoin goes all the way down to 11,000 or 10,000 or even 15,000. Wherever it ends up going down to, you now have 20,000 Tether, and Bitcoin is now $15,000. Now Bitcoin's $12,000, and then you can, say, go back in. You say you you think you're at the bottom at 12,000. So then you take the 20,000 Tether, and you buy Bitcoin with that. And so now you can have a whole Bitcoin again for only $12,000, and you have some Tether left over, or you can buy with all your 20000 Now you have more than uh, than one Bitcoin, if that makes sense. So that's kind of what people do with this stuff, is they, they basically play trading games, essentially, yeah, and, with and it. I think there's another aspect of this, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe you just explained it, and I just kind of kind of went over my head, but it's you're not paying the fees that you would pay to actually get U.S. dollars versus, uh, you know, Tether. With what, what would it cost to move from... Bitcoin to Tether. When I was using uh, Bittrex, it was one quarter of 1%. Very small amount. Yeah. And what would it be for, say, converting to U.S. dollars? Well, some of these exchanges have U.S. dollar on the exchange as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could do this, the same thing. It would be the same cost. But uh, you can't move those off of the the exchanges. If you wanted to take the your dollars to another exchange, they would need to be in Tether format or, or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, or to a, just an ordinary wallet. I was thinking to a bank account, maybe, but well, that would be whatever wire transfer would cost in that case. Okay, like thirty bucks, or so that it wouldn't charge a fee like on that. top of that in order to take your USDs no, off the exchange. I don't think so. I don't think most of them would hmm. would charge an additional hmm. fee. But then, of course, if the dollars are off the exchange, then you can't easily buy the the Bitcoin back, right? So the tether makes it easy to go from one to the other in an instant, essentially. Ah, so that instant is is the main uh, value there, as opposed to the the dollars are not instant. Well, again, if you have uh, – so some of the exchanges have USD, meaning they represent an actual dollar that the exchange itself has in a bank account. And those are instant trades on the exchange. But you can't take USD off of the exchange in any sort of meaningful sense. You can't take a USD – So it's sort of a security uh, – it's sort of something from a security perspective in that it, your, if your exchange dies and you had Tether on it, you lose that Tether. But if you have it in your own wallet, you don't? Um, no, I think we're, uh, I think we're you off. You can move Tether into your own wallet, yes. in which case you would not be affected by a bankruptcy of the exchange. What I was trying to explain you is... you would be affected by a bankruptcy of Tether. Right. That's what I was trying to explain was, is right. the difference. If you're on an exchange, like, let's say Kraken, uh, you can put dollars onto the exchange on Kraken. 
and you can trade with dollars on the Kraken exchange. But you cannot withdraw the dollars from Kraken to another uh, your own crypto wallet, right? That you can only withdraw via wire transfer to your bank account right, to get course. dollars out. Tether, you can withdraw from the exchange to your own wallet, or you can put it on another exchange or or whatever. So right, Tether okay. Tether makes the dollar more useful. So it's not speed; it's convenience of moving it around. It's being yeah, on sure. the other side of the crypto barrier more than anything else, I think. It takes the dollar, and the same thing's true for the USD coin and any other stable mm-hmm. coin, is it makes the dollar more useful. It makes it more portable. Uh, some of the things... Portability. That, yep. Yeah, some of the things that... Uh, that makes sense to me. Stable coins can benefit certain individuals around the world is if you are in a country where the, the, the currency, the fiat currency, is in hyperinflation mode which the dollar is not yet, supposedly. But if you're in you know, uh, Zimbabwe or Venezuela or something like that, and you want to convert your local currency into dollars, but you can't physically get dollars, you could get Tether, and you can hold that Tether. So there's like people in China or wherever that are actually holding Tether balances in their crypto wallets to kind of get around the restrictions on being able to use the dollar uh, in China as a way to kind of hedge their bets against the yuan, for instance. So it, it gives people more options around the world to use fiat currencies. Obviously, we're not fans of fiat currencies in general, yeah. <laughs> but for those that want to deal in them, it expands their repertoire yeah, quite a bit. I, it, you know, yeah. I've always seen it as a solution to get around problems effectively with, you know, dirty fiat, right? Or the, or the, with the, tr- because ultimately at the end of the day, most people are not dealing with cryptocurrencies. They're not dealing. They're not even dealing with uh, tether. They're dealing with dollars, right? Um, and so this just seems like a, a, a way to. It's a hack to get around some of the issues that the traditional system puts in place. It, yeah, that is true. Yeah. yeah, I basically used it as a way to uh, uh, to short crypto. Like if uh, if crypto went way down in an hour. Um, if, if there is a significant drop in crypto, it's reasonable to assume that over the next few hours, it will continue to drop if there's a very large, Mm. um, sudden drop because people will panic sell. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Sure. Um, Makes sense. So basically if you, if you see a large drop like that and you go into USDT, and then in the morning things look better. You go back into into crypto, and you've got more Satoshi than you started out with. All right, Crypto.com's decision to delist Tether follows regulatory clarification from the Canadian Standards. I, I'm going to repeat that one there. Clarification, regulatory clarification. Mm. I they probably redefined it. They in made some up way. a new law. Yeah, <laughs> from the Canadian Standards Association in December. The update was posted to the Ontario Security Commission's website. The CSA continues to monitor uh, uh, monitor and assess the presence and role of stablecoins in Canadian capital markets, it stated. As a result of this ongoing work, the CSA is of the view that stablecoins or stablecoin arrangements, whatever that means, uh, mm-hmm. may constitute securities and or derivatives. So there you go. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> How is a stable coin a security? I mean, as well, again, we, as we discussed last night. I mean, they're saying uh, uh, a security is something that is basically representing some sort of value, right? So 
I mean, that's, well, usually a security gives you some sort of say in something, right? Like you have a stock, so you own a portion of a corporation or whatever. If you have a tether, you don't get to tell the tether company how they do their business. You don't get to you don't get a vote. It's not like a decentralized autonomous organization or something like that. Hmm. So they're just calling everything yeah, that they so don't like a security. That's what this comes down. You're arguing to. is it's more of a commodity than a security. It's just a digital representation of somebody that has a dollar in a bank account, and it's, it's tradable online. That's all it is. I, I, so they're just going after everything they don't like, and they mm. sure don't like stable coins. They really don't. They don't like Bitcoin, and they don't like stable coins because stable coins make fiat currency more useful. It allows you to send the value of a fiat currency to another individual without having to use the banking system. If I had, which I don't have access to, but uh, if I had uh, <laughs> Tether and I wanted to send you... $20, I could, if you weren't sitting in the room with me where I can just hand you cash, if you're somewhere else, I can just send you over the Tether network, whichever one I want to. That, could, that, I would prefer cryptocurrency. I get, I get what you're saying, but I could send you, if you <laughs> sure, needed dollars, right, right. I could send you dollars. And I don't have to go to the bank. I don't have to sit in a chair for 20 minutes, fill out paperwork, oh, sign paperwork, send a $20 fee uh, along oh, with that. Oh, it's probably more like 45 or more yeah. at this point. So, like, it makes it easier it takes out the permissionless, you know, or it's mostly permissionless because one of the problems with the centralized stable coins is they can still undo it yeah. from the, from the uh, yep. corporate headquarters. They can still pull that money back. Another difference between stable coins and cryptocurrencies. Yeah, it, well, some cryptos. Anyway, more coming yeah, up here true. in a moment. <laughs> uh, hour three is on the way. It's Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live as we kick off the third hour of the show. The phones are open if you want to join us here. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. You can join us online. Just head over to freetalklive.com and enjoy the features you will find there completely free. Uh, once again, that's freetalklive.com. Here tonight, it's Ian. Nobody. And Chris. We've been talking about the world of cryptocurrency and its sort of side world of stable coins, which, as you pointed out, Chris, aren't exactly cryptocurrencies per se, but they do ride atop them. Uh, there's these cryptos like... Interlinked uh, is a good choice of words. Yeah, but <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, like Ethereum, which is essentially a crypto programming platform where anyone who wants to can just go and create their own crypto token. And in a lot of cases, these uh, have been used for scams. Uh, so you have to be very careful in the world of, uh, of cryptocurrency. Uh, but some of them are completely legitimate uh, technologies that people are trying to do something different with. And it's just a way to create something that you can transfer from one crypto wallet to another uh, sort of without having to create your own cryptocurrency, right? So a token is a, is sort of the, the poor man's crypto, essentially. You, can, you don't need to know how to program. You can just go to uh, one of these token creation tools and just... Oh, okay. I want to have nobody coin, and then uh, I want to have a two billion nobody coin, and then you have two billion nobody coin, and then you can send those coins to somebody else. So, what Tether has done, which is the world's most popular stable coin, so called, it's backed supposedly by a dollar, but is it? Uh, that's another question. <laughs> um, but uh, that's what we're about to get into. <laughs> they made it so they can create these Tether tokens that they can then send out to people and they can use those for whatever purposes and it turns out it's the number one 
uh, trading pair system on these crypto exchanges. So every one of these crypto exchanges, almost all of them support Tether, and almost all of them have Tether as what they call the base pair of the the crypto trading pairs. So they'll have different trading options for you. You can trade Bitcoin in Tether. You can trade Dash in Tether. You can trade Monero in Tether or whatever, right? So like Tether sort of links a lot of these cryptos together. We've got eggs and spam, eggs, ham and spam, spam, spam and more spam. (laughs) So, but now it's under attack in uh, Canada, specifically Tether is under attack apparently. And the Canadian Securities Commission has uh, threatened cryptocurrency exchanges, including Crypto.com, regarding Tether. And uh, Crypto.com has now withdrawn Tether from its platform, or will be later this month. In Canada. In Canada. In Canada. Right. <laughs> well, there may be U.S. coming next, right? Like, who knows? If Can- the Canadian be. Securities Commission gets away with this, then maybe the U.S. one will be uh, targeting them next. Well, I think they're actually about to talk about it in okay. the uh, U.S. So let's, uh, let me, let me, let's go a little yeah. bit more into the story. In early 2021, Tether and Bitfinex, a cryptocurrency exchange with the same parent company as Tether, were shut down in New York in order to pay $18.5 million for Ooh. false statements made about Tether's backing following a 22-month investigation by the state. These companies obscured the true risk investors faced and were operated by unlicensed and unregulated individuals and entities. Dealing in the Quick, somebody panicked. I know, right? In the darkest corners of the financial system, said New York Attorney General. Tether's Ridiculous. claims... They were at J.P. Morgan? <laughs> <laughs> Tether's claims that its virtual currency was fully backed by U.S. dollars at all times was a lie. Hmm. Which is something that was pointed out at the time, um, in in that it it it, it wasn't, and uh, and then later it did come out that it that it, it wasn't, and they changed the wording of it too. So um, now it's now it's backed, which is probably a good thing that it's not backed by U.S. dollars one to one, but it's rather it's backed by at least in theory other you know assets like I don't know. You know, like houses or, you know, others, other investments, I guess, basically. The term they had used uh, for a time was dollar equivalents. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so, like treasury bonds and things yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, it sounded, I, I think I feel like it sounded like they were, they, they were very broad. And I, I was thinking things like stocks and other things, right? Maybe. But, I don't know. Um, but yeah. But you might be right. Maybe, but maybe. From what I understand, they won't show an audit. So you still don't know. Right. And, and the one of the, and, and one of the problems, though, with, Saying it's backed one to one, though, if it was say a stock, mm-hmm. stocks can also go up and down. So yeah, that's why I think they <laughs> use the term dollar equivalents. I don't think they were talking about stocks. The there. bonds, I think they were talking about treasuries. The bonds like would make more sense, I believe, um, yeah. or CDs yeah. maybe, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Usually, um, the term they use is dollar denominated because basically, if you're denominated in dollars, then you will stay stable against the dollar. Right. If you're denominated in uh, ounces of yeah. gold then and gold goes down yeah. then uh, all of a sudden you're not fully covering what you're trying sure. to cover in response to usdd's delisting from crypto.com a spokesperson for tether told decrypt that canada is not a core market for tether mm, okay so you were right your prediction was that this they didn't care enough yeah uh, the spokesperson added while this does not mean that we will abandon our interest in ensuring that Tether products can be used beyond any borders. We abide by regulatory guidelines. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds like it, it sounds like uh, 
it, maybe this is more of an issue with Tether than it is even with Crypto.com. So I'm wondering if the other other uh, you know I don't know exchanges I guess w- would will also be delisting it. Don't know. I'd say there's a good chance if yeah. if Tether isn't willing to jump through the hoops of the Canadian government, right? Then uh, then it and becomes a risk to carry it, them on your platform. It seems like it would be dependent on Tether in this case too, because it is it's the one that appears to be getting regulated, and the other, I you know I don't know because they both are regulated. I would think uh, both Tether they're, both, they're and all regulated. What the I'm what it sounds them. like is that uh, the other stable coins have jumped through the hoops, and Tether hasn't. Right. The spokesperson described... Is Crypto.com a Canadian company? Not to my knowledge, but they operate in different countries. Right. The spokesperson described Canada as moving more aggressively to regulate crypto compared to most countries, Mm. adding a fair open... Is this a spokesperson for Tether? Uh, A spokesperson described, I'm guessing, yeah, I think so, Um, which is interesting. Uh, This is interesting, the way they're wording it, too. The spokesperson described Canada as moving more aggressively to regulate crypto compared to most countries, adding, this is the funny part, a fair, open, and forward-looking approach to financial access should be encouraged. Oh, okay. Okay. They added the word encouraged to that. I thought they were calling it fair, open, and forward, forward, like, yeah, okay. Mm. yeah so that's it for the article okay. um yeah so now, that doesn't bode well no uh, no it doesn't or what's going on in canada of course they had some uh, real egg on their face after the canadian truckers uh situation a year ago was Ooh. it just a year ago i bet you that's why they're cracking down so or was that two it. years ago is that 2021 it or was a couple years ago i think wasn't it it's getting real close it yeah was, it must have been 2021 dead winter yeah it must have been 2021 because i feel like that went down before uh the crypto six raids did yeah uh, but, i think so so anyway the the truckers uh, made the canadian government i think they embarrassed them because oh yeah for uh, sure canadian government tried to crack down on those truck drivers and the money that they were receiving through fiat currencies and they were able to do that they were able to, to scare the canadian banks into uh you know accepting the wire transfers from the donors which had raised over 10 million canadian dollars or whatever they, they stopped that cold but they yeah. couldn't stop the truckers from getting it, Bitcoin and Monero donations, it, and they are pissed. I mean, th- the Canadian is, government's pissed about that. This is one of the dangers of relying on a central bank or government-issued currency. Um, they can shut you off from the system if they don't yeah. like you, and they will. They've Canada has shown they will absolutely do that. Now, you know, Canada isn't the United States, but, you know— Let's be they're honest. They're worse in a lot of ways. Yeah, they are, but they're not that different, you know, Canada and no. the United States. It's they're both western countries. Yep. They're both, you know, it's very modern countries. They're it's very very similar. Mm-hmm. Um so if Canada can Except do this for all the dukes. You know, if Canada can do this to the truckers, even if you don't support the truckers, you should be concerned because what happens when they come after you? Great point. Let's go to the phones here. We got Joe on the line in Maryland. You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead, Joe. Joe, Maryland, going once. Yeah. Hi, hi, Ian. Hey, you're hi, on the everybody. air. Hi, Chris. Yeah, uh, I just like to talk and uh, say to people, ought to be thankful for the show because you guys expound freedom. And that's really important in people's lives. Now, the government says, well, just trust us. But that's what Joseph Goebbels said. And mm. our country is going to crap. And here's one thing that really boggles my mind. They say there's $65 trillion missing. Who does? Um, 
I I read it on a news site, and they say in the government there are $65 trillion missing. And that would solve all the country's problems. Well, no, it wouldn't. I mean, there's no way you can solve all of the problems. I'm just, I'm, I'm making like a generalization. Mm-hmm. It would solve, it would solve a great deal of them. And then we ought to get. Well, what it would do is, if they all of a sudden uncovered sixty-five trillion dollars, is it would increase the money, the money supply dramatically, and uh, creates more, uh, more problems from inflation. I don't know where it's still Although, unclear. If they took, if they found that money and paid the. Uh, paid the bonds off then it would just it would eliminate the the national debt okay here's uh the story i i just found uh from bloomberg quote unquote missing 65 trillion huge missing and growing uh in dollar de- 65 trillion in dollar debt i'm trying to oh it's they they locked uh the website down here see i of got course. Here. <laughs> it's always so annoying hmm. I'll see if I can figure it out for yeah. you. Well, there's uh, just to give you the meaning of a piece of this. Uh, one day they found that the uh, the Pentagon had uh, misplaced two point five trillion dollars between Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, or no, actually, it was before the it was before the Iraq War, um, but they had misplaced um, two and a half uh, two and a half trillion dollars. And by misplaced, well, it's yeah, never coming that, back. What does that mean? Yeah. Right? Well, we don't know exactly what it means because all of the records were stored in the Pentagon in the accounting section, <laughs> and the day they discovered this oh. was nine ten of <laughs> two thousand and one, and the airplane with the missile engine hit the uh, hit the Pentagon the next day, mm-hmm. right where they stored their accounting records. How about so that? That mm. data is gone. What a coincidence! Uh, Isn't that convenient? Oh, you know, there's this uh, thing in, you know, the corporate world. It's called backups. And uh, I'd like to think it's in most people's homes as well. But I'll be honest. I don't know that most people are backing up their data. But you should be. <laughs> mm. Yeah. An off-site backup. As well, yeah. Right? Off-site. Uh, well, yeah, there's there's uh, redundancy for, for like servers so mm. that if one drive dies, you don't lose anything. Right. And then there's also backups and then there's also offsite backups especially in the corporate yeah. world uh, institutions this is according to pensions and investments so joe this is a story you're referring to with the 65 trillion pensions uh, pionline.com uh, the site says institutions outside the united states are holding an estimated 65 trillion in quote-unquote missing dollar debt off of their balance sheets through currency derivatives making it harder for global policymakers to anticipate the next financial crisis According to a paper from the Bank for International Settlements, this very short-term hidden borrowing uh, forms part of a huge missing and growing debt that the likes of pension funds owe through foreign exchange swaps and other derivatives transactions. And that's more financial gobbledygook than I can possibly process. I don't know what any of that actually means. Do you? Do any of you guys know what that means? I got nothing. Yeah. Joe? Not sure. Yeah. Can't even, I can't even fathom $65 trillion. I mean, is a planet worth $65 trillion? I mean, it's really ridiculous. That is a good question. I mean, that's a lot of money either way, whether it is or isn't. And and we've got to stop killing each other. I mean, 
everybody's fighting wars and stuff, and what are they fighting them over for? For real. It's either religion, a piece of property, or some money. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. People's lives are being given up for three stupid reasons. Thank you, Joe, for the call tonight. I do appreciate hearing from you. Uh, a little bit more here, maybe worth sharing. Uh, according to pensions and investments, they say here that banks headquartered outside of the United States carry $39 trillion of this debt, more than double their on-balance sheet obligations, and 10 times their capital. Wow. So that sounds like that's a bad thing, but I don't really know what the ramifications of that are. But if you know more, feel free. Uh, the number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. So um, we finished the crypto story, I think, Chris. Yeah. I had I had a related one from, uh, this is from Coindesk.com. We talked last night about these crypto lending operations. So uh, Gemini had one of them. Gemini is a crypto exchange based here in the United States. That was all about regulations. They wanted to, well, oh, yeah, please regulate us. Regulate us harder. Sounds uh, like Paxos. Paxos? Pa- Paxos, is my saying that right? Yeah, they're one of them, too. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Gemini has been targeted now by the SEC here in the United States for offering a so-called security by offering to pay people on a yearly basis or you know an APR or whatever for depositing crypto with them, and then they can then loan it out. Well, there's companies that are like this. Celsius is one of them. They went down in flames in the summer of 2022. Mm-hmm. And Celsius's big competitor was a company called Nexo, or is a company called Nexo. Nexo has not gone bankrupt at this point. However, they are now being targeted in Bulgaria, according to Coindesk.com, into alleged money laundering and tax violations. <laughs> According to the story, they're being investigated on suspicion of money laundering, tax offenses, banking without a license, and computer fraud. The Bulgarian prosecutor's office is conducting an investigation in Sofia to, quote, neutralize the criminal activity, unquote, of Nexo, according to an automated translation of a statement issued on Facebook Thursday. More than 300 people are involved in this operation. The attorney general from Bulgaria had this to say. Uh, The main organizers of the scheme are Bulgarian citizens, and the activity was carried out mainly from the territory of Bulgaria. He said further evidence has been collected that a person who used the platform and transferred cryptocurrencies has been officially declared a terrorist financing person, according to the statement. So apparently just because... So like a taxpayer... (laughs) Uh, Apparently just because Nexo had a customer... That is now allegedly a terrorist. Apparently, that means Nexo's in trouble. That's crazy. I mean, <laughs> do you think that the uh, you know the hijackers on 9/11 weren't using the financial system? You know, uh, you know traditional banks at that point, right? Right. Uh, you know, to transfer money abroad and so forth. I mean, they had they had government regulated. they had government driver's licenses in the United States. Well, like, as we learned, I mean, come the, on, give me a break. How is how is anybody supposed to be responsible for what another person does? As we learned in the Crypto Six trial uh, that I you know unfortunately got found guilty at. We learned that it doesn't matter what happens to uh, financial fraud victims as long as they go through a bank. So it's okay right. if old ladies are scammed out of uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars or an old man is scammed out of $1.2 million, uh, as we saw some of these victims come up from these online scams. It's totally fine if they go to the bank and send a wire transfer to the scam artist. 
But if they go to a pick a Bitcoin seller, and the Bitcoin seller also gets fooled by these people who are telling lies to them, because they tell lies to the bank tellers uh, mm-hmm. to get them to send the wire transfers, and then they tell lies to buy buy Bitcoin. It's the Bitcoin people who get to go to prison, not the the bank tellers. So as long as you have the government mm-hmm. permission slip, it's totally fine. They don't care about what happens to these victims. Uh, in a thread on Twitter, Nexo said it's cooperating with relevant authorities and regulators. It says it has stringent anti-money laundering and know-your-customer policies and implied that it was being targeted unfairly. Nexo's, uh, Nexo's spokesperson said in an email to Coindesk, quote, These are authorities at one of Nexo's offices in Bulgaria, which is, as you know, the most corrupt country in the EU. Well, what do you have offices there for? <laughs> Not that there's any safe place to be as a crypto company. Yeah, also, if they're Bulgarian nationals, they might... I don't know what economic reg, uh, regulation is like in uh, there, but they might not be able to invest outside their country. Yeah, you know what's interesting is um, about some of these, you know, some of these situations is like, you can't tell... There are, obviously, uh, you know, some, like, really, how do I say this, corrupt and dis- or dishonest figures out there, people out there doing some really bad stuff, Right. But there's also people out there that are being targeted by the government who are doing nothing wrong, and yet they're using the same, you know, claims, false claims against those individuals. So there's, if they want to come after you, there's nothing you can do. You can't. There's no amount of compliance you nope. can do, you know, and be, you know, so, so-called safe from their mm. false claims. Just because well, the there way are to be safe is to donate to the Democrats and Republicans. Yeah, that definitely helps. Right? I'm sure that helps, but um, but yeah, no, I mean, if 90% of the people, you know, if 90% of people out there, are, let's just say, or an industry, right, are criminals, that doesn't mean that every single other, you know, participant in that industry is a criminal. Mm-hmm. But, and that's not even true in the case it's, of cryptocurrency. It's, not, but, it's more like 1%. Right, it's yeah. not. But if the, if the media is able to sell that story, mm-hmm. and then you have a jury right what does the jury think the jury just it goes, goes to assume yeah everybody Crypto involved scam. is is it must be some sort of criminal yeah. it doesn't matter how much evidence you have that it doesn't matter even if the prosecutor's own evidence disproves their story guilty uh, according to nexo they said they are making aml and tax related inquiries aml stands for anti-money laundering by the way and tax-related inquiries about a Bulgarian entity of the group that is not customer-facing but only has back-office functions, payroll, customer support, compliance. We are one of the most stringent entities with regards to KYC AML. Following the news of the investigation, according to Coindesk, more than $3 million worth of crypto left the company's platform. That's the customers saying, okay, it's time to withdraw. <laughs> These guys are under attack. Uh, the lender's native coin sank around 7% to as low as 70 cents at the time of writing was priced at just under 73 cents. Now, this story didn't have what I thought it did and there's other stories about this that they got raided. Like this is a serious like attack against this this crypto company. They they had their They must raided. not have been paying off uh, the Democrats and Republicans as well as FTX was or whatever the equivalent is yeah, in Bulgaria. Yeah, they're, they're local. Yeah. They're probably better off paying off their local uh, thugs. Uh, politicians because uh i don't know <laughs> but you have to wonder what is the the safest political jurisdiction for crypto corporations i mean it seems like it's very hard to find right like the, all well, of these probably el salvador because they're they've made it legal tender so they're all in that's a good point and they don't have a central bank yeah so if you're Ooh. a crypto company and you're looking to migrate and if i were a crypto company 
that's developing new concepts, new ideas, whatever, I would be looking to get the hell out of Europe and the United States and any other place that has a central bank. You might be right, Ian, about this, um, finding a country without a central bank. But you know what? Um, There might be a danger there, too, in that the local thugs may want a piece of the action. And depending on what percentage they want and that they don't change their terms... Could no, be a problem, too. Thugs are going to want a piece of the action. Yeah, they always do. Uh, the number here is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. You can bring up anything that is on your mind and join us here on Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live. You can join the show here. We've got time for you at 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. You can also uh, check out our TikTok channel over at tiktok.freetalklive.com. Aria and Bonnie have been working on uh, putting some stuff up. There's not all the time. There's a lot of work to uh, to cut out stuff from the show. If you guys want to uh, subscribe, though, feel free while the channel still exists. They'll probably ban it at some point, but go to tiktok.freetalklive.com. It's Ian, Nobody, and Chris here in the studio tonight, and we're going to go straight to your calls and thoughts. Sarah is on the line in New Mexico. Go ahead, Sarah. Um, so, so it was on the news that the Westside Homeless Shelter is being inspected by the Inspector General. I... I don't know who that is, but they're finding a fire code violation. They have mice, lice, and broken showers. And they Lovely. say that non-ADA compliant. But, you know, I, I've called into the show. Just to clarify, hold on. Before you go on, Sarah, is this a government-run homeless shelter? I think so. Hitting mm-hmm. home, they're the agency, but I, I have a feeling it's government government run. It's okay. definitely um, not private funding. No, it's uh, run, the money is uh, it's government run. And then. Uh, yep, it sure is. I just looked it up here. Uh, the West Side Emergency Housing Center has a .gov website. So it is definitely a government operation. Uh, what's your takeaway from this, Sarah? My my takeaway is that uh, I'm kind of uh, perplexed. At why did it take like how long, uh, like years and years, seven, eight years, before they finally had somebody go down there and inspect it? Because um, I was calling in about the all kinds of. I mean, I caught. Well, the reason is there. because government criminals don't care if other government criminals break the law. That's. Just to make make that clear, but go ahead with your next thing. Well, plus, even if there are people within the government that, you know, do care, they're not incentivized in the same way as regular people or charities are, for instance. So they don't have the same sense of urgency. It's like, well, we'll get to it when we get to it. Oh, yeah, it's only been five years. Oh, we'll check it later. I mean, they just don't they don't they don't have any kind of incentive. They're not they're not worried about getting donations. Right. Like your typical charity has to be responsible for its donor's money. If it's not responsible, if it just pisses it away or whatever on stupid crap, 
then the donors can come in there and say, well, looks like you're not actually spending the money in the way we said you should spend the money, so you're not getting it this year. And then that agency is just going to go away because they can't get the support that they need. Whereas the, the government, whether it be federal or state or Albuquerque city government, they get paid anyway. It doesn't matter because they will steal your home from you if you don't pay the property taxes. Yeah, there's there's something people a lot of people probably don't know about the charities, but um, there's actually uh, independent, like some sort of independent rating, um, uh, like where where their financials get rated, right? Like how well or how efficiently is a nonprofit doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and we only what, rate nonprofits. Well, <laughs> but the point the point that I'm making is that you actually do have an ability to put your money uh, to better use by selecting a nonprofit, some sort right. of nonprofit. That's why I uh, donate to the local homeless shelter that's right. run privately here right. in Keene. Because they do good work, and if I decide they're not doing good work, I can pull my funding from them. But you don't get that option with West Side Emergency Housing Center. If they've got a bunch of rats running around and the bathrooms aren't working right and the lights aren't on, I mean, then it, then it doesn't matter because you're still forced to pay for it. And your only option to complain is to just go down and say something to the city council and hope that they you know, crack a whip over these people. But it's been how many years? Seven or eight years, you said? I think so. I don't know when it got open. It was supposed to be temporary, but you know that. Oh, of course, it that's was. Why we have the. There's nothing more permanent yeah. than a temporary government <laughs> program. But the thing is that the homeless people don't want to stay there because it's so horrible. Yeah, I mean, they've been getting a lot of complaints, but they all ignore them because they're a bunch of homeless people. They're like you said, they're staying there for free. They don't. They don't pay any money. What's their they budget? Them, like dirt. What is the budget of this West Side Emergency Housing Center? How much money from taxpayers are they getting every single year? I I have no idea. I think but it I, just just to bust them back and forth with five six bus just to get them out there alone costs like a million dollars a year. So I was just uh, just a I I don't know. And then I I, I, yeah, I was gonna say I, I bet you it's millions of dollars at least that they're pouring into this. How many beds do they have? But I'm surprised that, that this has been going on for so long, and and then we don't have a, like a really strong, strong homeless coalition. Mm-hmm. I, it, this is Albuquerque. I mean, this is what you expect out of New Mexico. I mean, I mean, it. It just. I'm not really amazed, but I mean, the thing is, it's this is the worst homeless shelter in the history of New Mexico, Albuquerque, and the thing about it is that. I wish the Salvation Army would still have the the homeless shelter like they used to have here. So all they all they have now in Salvation Army is the like the when you come out of jail and then they just have a home for the men. Halfway but house. I was told that they're doing it just because they they get money for each head finishing that program. I, I don't know how true that is. They get funding for it. Well, the Salvation Army does a lot of private fundraising. Now, uh, there's a lot of uh, charities that if they get the chance to take government money, they will because they don't, you know, they're not principled or anything like that. And if the money's there, I can't blame them uh, for taking it. They're just going to spend it on something. So you might as well, as long as the, the as long as the strings aren't too terrible, then I don't blame right. somebody for taking it. Uh, according to an article from KOB out in Albuquerque. It looks like the West Side got uh, $587,000 out of a recent funding round 
but it's not clear for how long that lasts. I'm not sure if that's you know part of the year or or what. It's uh, but that that so yeah, they're getting plenty of money over there for this this particular operation, and you know they can't even keep the the rats out. They can't keep the lights on. Uh, it's it's pretty embarrassing, but that's government for you, Sarah. This is what you want to you want these people to run healthcare. Well, the thing is that um, they are going to build that gateway center, so they're, they're going to have a better homeless shelter. Why twenty four hours? Why would you? This one's twenty four hours. Why would you think that uh, it's going to be better? Well, I mean, because uh, I mean they have to because uh, so many people are paying attention. Uh, look, look at. Look at all the people that are getting thrown out on the street because of the rent. They can't afford to live here. So then the mainstream, many of the mainstream people are being forced to be homeless. It's not like the degenerates of drug addicts and alcoholics. So, so then they have to provide a better homeless shelter. No, what's going to happen is they're going to, if it's a brand new shelter, has it even been built yet? It has been built. I, I don't know how far it's going to be open. But I is it new? Was it built wedding. brand new? Is it fr- like brand new, freshly built? No, it was a former hospital. Okay. That got <laughs> of course. Down. Yeah. I was going to say, if it was brand new, then you'll have the, uh, it'll have a look to it, right? Like it would be new and people would know it's new and, ooh, here's our new homeless shelter. Everything looks great. And then it's going to deteriorate mm-hmm. and it's going to not be taken care of. And, it, you know, yeah, you find we, out what's wrong not, with the, the building. And I thank you for the call, Like Sarah. a Chinese rental. I don't know if that's insulting oh, to Chinese people, but uh, what do you mean? Well, the uh, the Chinese government is really at, at fault for this, but um, they've, they've been building a lot of buildings in China. Oh, with the lowest quality just stuff. just collapsing. Yeah. yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, you know, you know, it's really scary. Yeah, sometimes you know the thing that seems to be the biggest problem, you know, just in general with with poverty is in 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 government in general, um, is the lack of like planning, like financial planning, like basic financial planning skills. Um, it they don't have to. Yeah, I mean, it's well, I mean, certainly the government doesn't. Um, but the uh, like individuals who Mm -hmm. are in poverty, it's like okay, you have a job and you're still doing poorly and you're not making any progress in like advancing. And it's like, well, why is that? And then you start looking at things, you know, you know, like things like, I mean, drug addiction, certain, certainly uh, drug addiction, but like, I'm even thinking of like other things like, and, and some of these things are like, okay, you can't undo what you did. Like if you had three kids or whatever. Right. But there's other things, certainly, and, and certainly if you do the financial planning ahead of time, maybe, yeah, maybe you can Unfortunately, they don't have ex post facto abortion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but there's certainly other things, right? Like, do you really need to smoke three packs of cigarettes a day, as an example, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you can cut back to two packs and then have a, sa- you know, save up that money, and then all of a sudden you can you kind of move up in the world. But people just don't have, like, they, there's, they don't teach these skills in school. They sure don't. You know? Well, do then again, how much better would it be if the government was teaching money management skills? Terrible. Uh, they don't have I'm sure any. it would be, but you know, <laughs> it's actually funny because I actually did have a class where like they like sort of was that was kind of the idea. Like it was just it was it was it was like a I want to say it was a class for stupid people, but it wasn't it was like I had to I had to fill in a class in my schedule in order to like finish graduating home economics nah it was but it was it was like some sort of class that was like taught very basic skills like how to use a checkbook that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and um oh my god 
talk about like this stupid stuff. Like there wasn't really any kind of financial planning in there. Like, you know, it was just, but that was like what it should have been, right? Well, they don't want you to be financially uh, secure. They don't want you to be financially aware. They don't want you to have any financial intelligence because they want you to rely on them. Yeah. I mean, this, let me, let me just give you an example of how stupid this course was, right? They had us reading terms of service agreements, privacy policies on websites on the internet. Why? <laughs> I still don't know because I, I think the idea was to protect your privacy, right? Like, like it wasn't like how to use tools to protect your privacy, mm-hmm. like maybe Tor or, you know, I don't know, like cookie blocking or something. No, it was to read the, the privacy policy of oh. websites. Let's go to the phones here. Uh, David is in New Mexico. You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead. Oh, man. I've, I've only heard about 45 minutes of today's program. Uh, and uh, there's like a dozen different things that uh, I don't think that are being understood that, that I'd like to comment on. But let me, All right, we'll pick one or so, two. Yeah, I know, Ian. I know, I know, I know. I know you're a team. So I was just interrupting you when I was saying, so let me cut it down to two which are related, actually. And it goes all the way back to the beginning of your program, and you're talking about uh, how courts are like church. Let me tell you a couple of things that I do, and, and, uh, and, good, and get good reception to it and bad reception, and both are worthwhile. So uh, a judge named Sandra Engel here in uh, New Mexico, she once uh, threatened me to, well, let me give her your exact quote. I said something to her in open, co- in open court, that needed her attention in her courtroom, uh, uh, meaning a dude was stalking me in the courtroom. And so I tried to bring it to her attention. And she basically told me to shut up. And then the exact quote is, as I was walking out the door after I told her, okay, I'll handle it myself. And I went down and got security and took care of the situation because the judge was such a dork, Sandra Engel, hmm. that she couldn't, uh, she couldn't handle it. But she said to me, as I, she said to the courtroom as I was walking out the door with my back to her, but I heard it. Uh, do you know what the what happened to the last person who did that? Um, you know, and so anyway, I went down, got security, handled the situation, and Sandra Engel is a dork. Now, the direct cr- contrast to that, and the whole the whole point of these two uh, ana- or these two uh, uh, excerpts, for lack of the word that I'm looking for, uh, is uh, what the f can the average person do to? Oh, let me interject. The government that uh, the government that we have as we know it, has got to go. Government employees, did you hear that? You've got to go unless you change your tune. So now, direct contrast to Sandra Engel, and the last time I tried to share this uh, on Free Talk Live, it wasn't, Ian was not uh, sitting in that day, neither was Chris, neither was um, uh, nobody, a different crew. Okay. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't happy with me giving praise to a judge, but let me try it again. So in direct contrast, uh, different experience with uh, uh, Victor Valdez in the Metropolitan Court. Oh, and by the way, I've done the same thing in federal court <laughs> to a good. What reception. about Victor Valdez, though? Can you finish the thought? Okay, so what I, what COVID brought on the uh, telephonic appearances, the Skype, mm-hmm. the whatever, right? Um, and, and that made it easier to do this. But you can also do the exact same thing uh, in uh, if you show up in court. It just makes it easier if it's electronic. And so um, I was sitting in Victor Valdez's courtroom, and I haven't done this in a while, but I would just drop in to Victor Valdez's courtroom, and I would sit in. And then I would notice things as a citizen that the judge wasn't necessarily noticing or aware of and that 
keep other people in the courtroom that could say something were not speaking up. And so I would say, um, judge. And, I, and the judge would respond to me, uh, yes, who is that speaking? And I would identify myself. And then I would say, a friend of the court information that you might find helpful, if I may. And then he would grant me permission. And I would, and I would share what I noticed, which was always on point, because uh, I'm just that way. And he was appreciative of what I had to offer because it made his job easier and made things better for everybody involved himself and everybody else in the courtroom, uh, who, no matter who they were. And that's in direct contrast to the first example of Judge Sandra Engel. And the point is, is that individual citizens um, can and should interject even uh, in the two examples, you know, remember, in one example, the judge threatened to throw me in jail. Um, and, and in the second example, uh, same, well, actually different court, the Metropolitan versus District, but the judge was appreciative of my input. And I think and in most to- cases they're going to not be appreciative, uh, at least in the cases I've seen. F-em. Usually they don't F-em. want to get interrupted F-em. or we whatever. F them. F them. We don't care. Stand up anyway. Stand up. The whole reason we're in the, the situation. Yeah, as long as you're willing to now, risk, uh, you know, as long as you're willing to risk a contempt charge, yeah, then, I, then go for it. If you I got feel like to say. I feel like this is certain things that have uh, happened here in 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 Keene, uh, in New Hampshire, in general over the years, and it doesn't usually go well. It usually doesn't. Thank yeah. you for the call, uh, David. Let's continue here. Uh, is this Sahid? Yeah, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead. Hey, how you guys doing? Hey, what's on your mind? All right. Uh. So what's on my mind? Uh, I had a question for you guys, just a quick one. Um, I was thinking just earlier today, I was working on a little crypto project, and um, I was thinking, why? Why? Uh, if you're, uh, I heard that you guys are not able to use crypto right now because of bail conditions. Uh, it's only me. I think nobody is free to use crypto, if I recall correctly, on your yeah, probation. Yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> okay, got you. So uh, my question was, can you? Uh, I, I assume that you can't issue like tokens or NFTs or anything like that. Can't touch those. Right. I'm not allowed to do anything in regards to uh, purchasing, holding, ex, you know, exchanging, doing anything with cryptocurrency. Nobody, however, could yeah. create his own token or yeah. something. Yeah. I'm just thinking of NFTs, cryptocurrency. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Got you. And so, uh, yeah, that was because uh, technically it's not like 100% proof of work kind of stuff. It's uh, somebody's just issuing uh, kind of like signed messages. And so one step behind uh, or like a little bit more primitive to NFTs is like just signing messages, kind of like being an oracle type of thing. Can you do that? No, anything that requires any kind of interaction with cryptocurrency-related uh, software or well, cryptocurrency wallet. No, I mean, I could do PGP if that's what you're... They could probably... Yeah, because uh, signing, signing things, uh, being an oracle is just literally just signing with uh, crypto keys. You know, no, anything being, uh, that has to have... do with a cryptocurrency <laughs> uh, key, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to do. Not, does does not it say, like, virtual currency? currency? Not cryptocurrency keys, just literally just like a public key. You know, public key, okay. private key kind of thing. Um, since that's what cryptocurrency is kind of like built off of, but it's a little bit more primitive than that. It's just like that's how PGP, HTTPS works and everything. So uh, okay. oracles are kind of like separate from the blockchain, you know? Um, mm. And so that's the, that was kind of like my question because uh, it can facilitate some stuff, but it's not exactly crypto itself, you know? And mm. so I was just curious about that kind of like uh, 
line of thinking. Yeah, I mean, generally, I wouldn't want to do anything that could possibly be pushing the the line, so to speak. Uh, judges don't tend to appreciate that very much. Uh, <laughs> Start in, using stable coins, in, but not in, cryptocurrencies. In my experience, yeah, I don't <laughs> think they want to play those games. Uh, but uh, so he, you know, since you called in tonight, I know you've called before, and I think you've mentioned you are Muslim, correct? Yeah. Um, we had a conversation earlier tonight, and I'm glad that you're here because uh, I want to go back to that, that maybe you can weigh in on this. Um, I was trying to address what uh, nobody had said in regards to, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, mm-hmm. nobody, so correct me if I misstate this. You were concerned that you believe that Muhammad was advocating people or his followers go and kill uh, non-believers back in the day. Is that correct, nobody? Um yeah, that basically uh, during Muhammad's lifetime, uh, Islam was being spread by the sword. And as I understood the story, and please correct me on uh, what the, you know your understanding is, that so he is an actual uh, adherent to Islam, uh, that uh, Muhammad and his followers were the ones who were being pursued and killed, and they had to defend themselves, and that uh, they were not going around and just forcibly converting uh, people who didn't agree with them. What what's you know what's your understanding of it? Um, so, uh, yeah, good question. Um, so the time period of, uh, the early Islam, it sounds like, uh, I'm not an expert at it, but there's, um, basically two different time periods. There's a time of like the prophet's, uh, lifetime. Mm-hmm. And then there's like shortly right afterwards. We're talking the about his lifetime. Exactly. We're talking about his life. Exactly. So in his lifetime, it was mostly, uh, kind of domestic within, uh, Saudi Arabia, um, area. And then it was after his lifetime, shortly after that it spread to Persia, to, uh, uh, the middle, I mean, um, Israel, Jerusalem, Byzantium, and whatnot. And so during his own lifetime, it was all uh, persecution and defense for the most part. But then afterwards, it can get a little murky after that. Mm, okay. That was that was What's not how I understood back? it, so thanks for clarifying. Well, there's a lot of propaganda out there, right? There's a lot of uh, people that, are, that have an axe to grind against Islam that don't really tell you the, the whole truth about it. Um, and so what yeah. you're saying is uh, he is after Muhammad died, then the people that sort of inherited um, the, that seat, I forget what the, the term is, was it Abu Bakr or something like that that came after him? Yeah, exactly. It was basically the old power structure for the most part. Um, and they used the same kind of reasoning. Uh, and uh, actually, that's, uh, that's actually a big, it's not even just the people who have axe to grind. It's actually a lot of the like, quote unquote supporters who just don't have really uh, the same types of principles. Yeah. Right. Uh, which can get pretty lost pretty quickly. Yeah, and one of the principles he had, and, and you can correct me on this one as well, was that if uh, you know if you're being attacked, you obviously have a right to defend yourself. This is what Muhammad uh, taught, from my understanding. You have a right to defend yourself, but if the attacker turns and runs, you are not allowed to, under his rules at least, to pursue that attacker and continue to uh, to cause harm. Um, I am not one hundred percent because uh, the text we're talking about is. Uh, when you're talking about like war, war, where it's like persecution and killing, it's uh, it's not exactly as uh, forgivable, like uh, in that kind of sense. It's like uh, an eye for an eye type of, uh, and uh, the victim can go ahead and uh, forgive uh, if they'd like to, but they can't exceed it, uh, what they feel, what was done to them, type mm-hmm. of thing. And uh, and so there's like uh, the Quran kind of like explains all this in detail. Uh, a lot of people like to go ahead and pick one verse or another, but in, in its complete form. Uh, is uh pretty you know it's actually it reminds me quite a not reminds me i mean that's why i'm an arrogant for the most part because uh, awesome. it doesn't it, it talks about all these rules but it doesn't mention anything about uh government uh at all you know 
In fact, governments are usually the ones that are uh, the tyrants uh, on the wrong side of that. Uh, but I do want to mention uh, one thing. is like uh, there are certain people who are, uh, you know, al- not allied, but are associated with like a, a power structure or a tyrant and uh, who don't want to fight you, but uh, also don't want to go ahead and fight a tyrant, you know, or their families and, uh, you know, the people who are actually uh, working with uh, the, the, you know, the uh, <clears throat> however you want to call it, the, you know, the tyranny. Um, you're supposed to go at, uh, it mentions in the Quran uh, before, uh, like literally like a couple of verses before the, the one that's repeated so often, like find them and kill them wherever you find them type of thing. A couple of verses right beforehand, it talks about how those people who don't lift a hand towards you, but who are not uh, trying to fight you, but they're kind of like with the tyrant system, uh, then those people are like off limit, you know, give them safe harbor. We're supposed to actually literally give them safe, uh, a safe place hmm. to kind of like, um, you know, sanctuary so that they don't have to do either. Would you say that the? And I think a lot of people, a lot of people fall in that kind of like category. Uh, to be honest, would you say that the uh, the people that are Muslims that are seeking power, that are running the governments uh, of the world, that are that are Muslim, are not following the uh, the prophet's guidance? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, of course, uh, of course not. Uh, I, I doubt even. I wouldn't even call them a, a lot of. I mean, it's, it's between them and God when, uh, whether or not they're Muslim or not. But uh, the Quran actually has a distinction between. Uh, a Muslim, and there's another word called Mu'mi. Hmm. One is a believer, and one is a Muslim. Uh, and uh, for uh, people like somebody, um, and so there's a distinction there, and not even a lot of Muslims go and explain that to uh, non-Muslims. Sahib, we are out of time tonight. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for uh, the clarification from your perspective on this. I definitely appreciate hearing from you, and uh, we will be back tomorrow. You can join us online in the meantime over at freetalklive.com. On Free Talk Live, we're bringing people to the ideas of liberty every day. From wrestling superstars like Glenn Jacobs. You guys really are having an impact, I believe. Like I said, uh, a lot of where I am now is due to listening to Free Talk Live. You changed my mind on some very important issues years ago. To random people tuning in on the radio. I was kind of stuck in the left-right paradigm. I heard your show by chance on a Saturday night. From there, I went on, joined the Free State Project, and become an amplifier. So, I mean, that's really the reason why I amp is uh, because I know that if it wasn't for you guys being on as many stations as you are, I never would have found the ideas of liberty. You can help more people hear the message of liberty by joining Free Talk Live's AMPS program on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. And you'll get access to special perks. Visit amps.freetalklive.com, amps.freetalklive.com.